You got me mid sip. Good time. I love you? that. I gotta, I gotta drink up when I'm talking to you. <laughs> I understand for the for the fourth time today. I was gonna say yeah. It's not. The we, first. we talk a lot. We do talk a lot. Just don't blame my alcoholism on you. On me, I mean. <laughs> no, 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 no. I switched you're, that. You are not the reason I started drinking. You're the reason I keep drinking, but you're not the reason I started. You're not the reason I started. I, I told you, you and my mother have something in common. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Can I first comment quickly on your cantankerous amount of hair? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, that's please just, do. That, that's very, it's lincanthropy. That's like, it's right before, <laughs> it's like 12.01 at midnight, right as he changes. <laughs> As 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 Talbot changes into the Wolfman, that's you. That's yeah, fucking if, great. You you look. If Woody Allen became a werewolf, he'd look like you with the glasses, <laughs> with the whole. First yeah. of all, like anthropist, I love that you. You're the only guest so far to zing me with a thesaurus. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, you the the. I have to actually look all that up. Do you remember the great Angelo Lazada? great comedian that we lost yes yeah, yeah. angelo once was at sitting at the stand-up new york is mm -hmm. years ago and he's talking with this this young woman really really pretty woman mm -hmm. and i could tell he's hitting on her i walk in he didn't even know i was there i come up behind him and i slide right next to him and i say to the, the woman be careful of this man he's a nefarious fellow and i walked <laughs> away and, and, and behind me i hear angelo go who cock blocks a guy with vocabulary <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fucking great yeah <laughs> you're making me choke uh, only a couple minutes in holy shit long, long as it looks like an accident that's all i care about <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to tell you off the i have a, i have a contract a contract has been taken out on you and uh, i didn't and we got to make it look i don't want to tell i don't want to hurt you but ed asna took out a contract <laughs> on you and He's trying to avoid you until you're gone. So, <laughs> you know, it's, he does. He could just not do the show. Does anybody tell him that? He could just well, not look, show up. I'm not the only. There's been five of us who have been trying to kill you for like three <laughs> weeks now, and he keeps having to change the card. He keeps putting the date on the flowers. I said, "Don't put the date, Ed. Don't put the date." But he don't listen. You know, he's been around. Uh, he thinks he knows everything. He's 91. He's not going to listen. No, not at that age. No. He Halfway can't. to 182. You know, you can't. He used no to be J. Jonah Jameson. Come on. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, well, all he wants is pictures of Spider Man and me dead. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. I actually kind of want to frame this cat because I, I decided that all the guest bookings are going to be done old school at a regular calendar. I'm not putting them in my phone. I want to I wanna look okay. at it. But yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is kind of, I want to frame it because it does. Have Ed Asner written all over it. <laughs> Ed, no, Ed, no. <clears throat> well, what you do is Fine. if you if if uh, you don't die before you get him, 
<laughs> then what you which will ruin his day anyway. But if you get him, <laughs> then what you got to do is you got to try and mail it to him and get him to autograph it. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And knowing yeah. him, he's he's just gonna keep it. You have <laughs> what? <laughs> I love that you said knowing him is just gonna. <laughs> and if I know Ed. He's a funny guy. He's a very he funny man. Yeah. Yeah. He's hilarious. It, the con I had like a two second conversation. No, I mean like a couple minutes with him on the phone and all he did was shit on me and he doesn't even know me, which is, I enjoyed every minute of it. Look, two seconds of you. Everybody knows you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's Just, met somebody like me. Yeah. You, you're <laughs> expansive in your talents, but you're not deep. You're, you're like a, you're like a. You're like a crystalline puddle. It just goes on. It's just, it looks like it should be deep, but it's not. <laughs> you're like, you're like the veneer of talent. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I Sorry. Can't, but... I can't do it. Are we done? I can't do this for another. This is, I'm already hurting. I just, John, you saw that I texted you the picture of the sandwich. This is how much. There's a contract, John. <laughs> I told right. you. That's right. This is how much he and I talk. I did. I do send him pictures of what I'm eating. <laughs> yeah. We're that close. We're that close. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this dinner looks good. Click. Yep. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the you one thing so we both agree on is food. Yes. We you both are. Love food. Yeah, we both do. We love food. Mm -hmm. You're a, a master of alcohol. My first drink was with you, I believe. Um, and At I don't Borgata. remember it because you roofied me, but you were it was. No, uh, <laughs> Should have saved that for the back room. This is live. Um, <laughs> we were. Uh, I just we were, wanted I, you to shut up, John. That's all I wanted. <laughs> You're the only guy a... I know who talks more when he drinks. <laughs> it's it's a it's a narcotic. It's a depressant. It slows you down, and you. Wow. It's so weird. It's so fucking true. It is yeah. so weird. I'm like, but I, I love that you. It was like you couldn't even be bothered paying full money for the roofie. It was just a Benadryl. <laughs> You're like fucking kid, stirring it into the drink. <laughs> it's like You're I'm just gonna keep going with this, huh? <laughs> you know, this oh, is this is. It what? was in Atlantic City. It was you. Uh, you invited me up to see uh, you and Monty. We're doing Borgata. That's right. That's right. I remember. And you, I came into the room. You guys were blasting jazz, and you had your drinks, and then we went After. down to the bar. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's called it show business. It was a, exactly. It was a full <laughs> yeah. on. It's, called show, it's a full yeah. on lesson in show business. Yeah, a little Ella Fitzgerald, a little Count Basie, a little maybe oh. a little whiskey, a little little, little something. Little whiskey. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, we call we call <laughs> it getting down the runway. You got to get down the runway. That's all you. <laughs> you know, then you take the elevator to work. You go. That's my favorite kind of gig. Taking yeah. the elevator to work and one show a night. My favorite yep. kind of gigs. Because right. I am, you know, very uh, lazy. I'm lazy is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Two shows is a lot. Three is <clears throat> too much. I've done, I think I did the, I, I had seven or nine in one day. Wow. Full, wow. full sets. Full sets. 40, 40 minute sets at the Comedy Magic Club in California at, in Amosa Beach. Because mm -hmm. they had Christmas. It was Christmas time. And, you know, uh, wow. the Comedy Magic Club has two rooms, the big room, yeah. main room and then the small room. And so I think it's I think the first show is 11 a.m. or 10. It was like a luncheon thing in the big room. So mm -hmm. we had like three or four people. I went out, did 35 or 40 at the end. And as I was wrapping up, they're introducing me in the other room. 
Wow. So I I ran, I went from doing 40, ran down the hallway and did 40 again. Wow. And I went back and forth and then the regular evening shows and the last, last show. And I think we were there till midnight or whatever it was. And I think I had done seven or nine full sets. Wow. And by the third show, I said, boy, I better come up with a set list because I never work with a list of yeah. material I want to hit. And I said, I better do it because <laughs> by the third show, I was on stage going into a bit. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, oh, wait, no, I did this already. I really thought I did. So I was right. looking at the audience to see if I saw anybody go. <laughs> <laughs> right? I didn't know if I did. So um, I'd go. So I had to go to the doctor. <laughs> and I really did that. I really did that. And after that show, I started writing a set list. I was like, okay, at least I have an order now. Yeah. Because I was doing too many shows that, uh, that close together. Oh That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, did yeah. you do the same show like back to back to back to back to back? Or did you, did you move around the jokes and you were? I feel no, like I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Not with that many. I had to keep it in an order because if I went out of order, mm -hmm, I yeah. would have forgot if I already did. Because you know, by the time I was on the sixth show or the seventh show, I'm like, I've done this 35, <laughs> 40 minutes <laughs> over and over and over. I had no idea where I was. So I had to do it in an order. That's the only time I ever did, did that. Oh, my God. Did the crowds wonder where you were? Because usually you do a show, you hang out, people get to see you after the show, where they're like, where the fuck's he going? Oh, <laughs> so yeah. They no, they were, that you were... Yeah, some people, no, some people thought their <laughs> show was the only one that day. You know, it's like, oh, he's here for us. No, I'm here yeah. for a lot of people. Actually, I'm not here for any of you. I'm here for money. That's why I'm here. <laughs> so let me go down the hallway and make more money. So I kept running back and forth. Oh. Yeah, and I didn't stop till yeah till the end. It was it was late at night. It was like eleven o'clock or whatever, which is late for L.A. Eleven yeah. o'clock at night, you know. There's nobody yeah. nobody out at that hour. No, I know. So yeah, but that was that was a that was the only time I had to write down a set list. Wow, is yeah. that your favorite? Is is Comedy Magic your favorite club? I had in um, in this country. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my favorite. I I would have to say there are three clubs I absolutely love. Comedy and Magic is, it's a mecca. It's the mecca. That's what mm -hmm. I consider it. I know there's a lot of great clubs, but for me personally, and all the ones that I've worked, that is the the mecca for the show business, show busy level of mm -hmm. comedy. Meaning there's a lot of great actors who are comics who go there, a lot of writers who are comics who go there, and it's all top level. There's never a bad show there. Right. No, never a bad lineup. I love hilarities. In Cleveland, Nick Costas is, oh. is just it, that's a, a beautifully built, designed restaurant and cabaret theater and comedy club, uh, and uh, also the Comedy Castle up in Royal Oak. Oh yeah, in yeah, Michigan, yeah. you know uh, Ridley's place. That's those those are my three, I think, favorites here in the here in the United yeah in the states. That's my favorite. That's awesome because the yeah. two because I've <clears throat> we've always talked about doing the comedy castle together, which I'd love to yeah. do. We got to do that one day. Yeah, I would love that one week. Um, but I've been to both. I've been to comedy and magic, and I've been to the comedy castle. Never been to hilarities. Are they sim? Because they because I could see how comedy and magic and and the comedy castle <clears throat> have similar kind of uh, aesthetics room wise. Does hilarities have that same kind of feel? Hilarities was a very is a very new club i guess you could say that because i think it was 2000 and it was either three or four i believe when mm -hmm. i met nick who owns it nick costa and I, he came up to me at the fe at montreal at the festival and he mm -hmm. had this envelope a manila envelope and he showed me the pictures of the new hilarities it wasn't even open yet 
Mm-hmm. And I showed me, he showed me all the pictures and I was like, Nick, this is a palace. This is gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. a phenomenal restaurant alone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful. And the food is incredible alone. Then you go downstairs. There's like a cabaret stage, uh, uh, a very nice bar and lounge. Mm-hmm. And then the, th- then the room, you walk in the room and it's got a balcony around the inside. Um, it, it's, it's just gorgeous. And it's a big room. I, I want to say. 350 400 maybe wow. in that room in 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 uh in Nick's place and it's got three names it's hilarities pickwick and frolics and fourth street it's got like three <laughs> different names because <laughs> the restaurant is pickwick and frolics and i think and then uh, it's yeah but hilarities wow. is the, and he was the he he really revitalized that part of downtown cleveland there was nothing mm. there when he moved the club there people thought he was nuts there was just wow. a lot of empty strip mall stores and he went in and showed you could make money. And then the House of Blues literally opened across the street from him. Oh, wow. wow. And that brought a lot more business. And it all built up there. But he was the first one, man. Is the House of Blues, they don't do too much stand up there, though, right? They're, they they're do, not no, competitors, they're, are they? No, 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 no. no. Okay. But there are House of Blues. <laughs> there are occasional stand up shows at the House of Blues, you know, around okay. the country. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I was like, oh, that was a dick move for them to open up across the street. <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah doing right. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think even if it was like a similar business, I feel like sometimes it's good to have like, that's why you could have like three pizza stores on, on the same corner in Brooklyn because it, the, the crowd attracts more of a crowd and then you don't go to the same pizza store every time. So you're going yeah, back and they and also forth. all don't have the same amount of guns. You know what I mean? So it's a safe to say. I have no <laughs> idea. Brooklyn. That's so stereotypical. You know, John, <laughs> that's just racist. That's just racist, John. It is against Italians. I know, I know you're Italian and everybody thinks I'm Italian, but that's racist. It, everybody does think you're Italian. Even I forget. And I think you're Italian. You got it. You got it in you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny story that happened actually at the Borgata. Mm-hmm. We did a show. Me, I, it was a week with Monty, but it wasn't the week you were there. It was me, Monty, okay. and I don't remember who the other act was. And one day we're out at the pool outside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're a comic in a hotel for a week. You're going to get recognized. Yeah. And yeah. this woman came up to me. and, Oh, my God. You guys are so funny. And she grabs me by the hand. My mother loved you. And she starts dragging me to her mother on the lawn chair. All right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this woman I'm talking to is about 60. She takes me to her mother. Who's probably I don't know. She's she's here because she she missed the Titanic. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's how old she is. So I come over and she's wearing jewelry and it, you know she's laying out. She's like Naugahyde. She's so tanned and just you know what I mean. And she goes, "Ma, ma, this is a comedian." And I said, "Joe Stark." She didn't know my name. I mm-hmm. said, "Joe Stark." This is the comedian last night. Joe Star and the mother. Gives me like the dead fish to shake a hand, you know. <laughs> and this is exactly what she said while she while we're shaking hands, and she gives me this look. She goes, "You Italian?" And I said, "I said actually no, I'm not Italian. You Jewish?" I go, "I'm not Jewish." We're still shaking hands. She goes, "Then mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care what you are." <laughs> right? And I'm still wow. shaking hands, and I'm like, "Jesus!" And the daughter was so mortified. Mm-hmm. I'm still shaking the woman's hand, and the daughter's mortified. And she goes. Well, I guess you you know what my mom is. I go, yeah, but I'm not going to say it out loud in front of people. <laughs> Fifteen lawn chairs of people left. Like Fifteen of them. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's that was amazing. One of the, 
coldest. I'll tell you the greatest backhanded <laughs> compliment I ever got. I knew what the woman meant, but it came out wrong. I was working mm -hmm. in uh, uh, the improv in Vegas when it was there. I missed that room. I missed that room <laughs> so bad. But the improv, after you did the shows there, you would all the comics would line up outside and people mm -hmm. buy T-shirts. We all autograph the T-shirts. We take pictures with them and all this kind of thing. Right. So the line is leaving the show. Everybody's leaving. And the last two people in line are a woman who's a, a, a wealthy. She wanted you to know she had money. So she's wearing every piece of jewelry she ever had. And she's got a mink, like, stole over her shoulders. Mm -hmm. It's July in Vegas. <laughs> and her husband is carrying her purse. Oh, my okay? God. So it's that kind of a woman. This, and this right. guy, has, he, he hasn't spoken since Nixon. That's how long <laughs> he hasn't said a word. Not a word. So she comes out. And while again, while she's shaking my hand, mm -hmm. this woman says... This is a quote. My husband and I never come to these places because they never have anyone good. But you, you're just as good as any real comedian I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. My, the my comics favorite... were like, damn. <laughs> like <it> was... <laughs> and we couldn't go anywhere. We're behind the counter signing T-shirt. We can't go anywhere. I just oh. I was, and I knew what she meant, but man, that was brutal. That was brutal. <sighs> that yeah, I know. It's yeah. weird. Old people have the best fucking backhanded combo. I remember doing um uh this place called the Candlelight Theater in Delaware, and they have their older audience members that go to every show. This one table every okay. fucking show, and one of them came up to me and she went. I thought you were hilarious, but everybody else on my table <laughs> didn't laugh. I can't imagine why. I was like, oh, I guess. She's like, I no sense of humor, but me personally. That's like, great. Yeah. I was like, Jesus, fuck, lady. Wow. <laughs> These people not laughing. Me. Did you get, did you get a number? <laughs> <laughs> what just just the one on her grave uh that's the only one oh. <laughs> hey we each have our own kinks it's fine that's true that's true john you live your truth john yeah live you, your truth you know, sure. gonna shame you you're fine yeah. exactly exactly yeah i already look like a necromancer uh, <laughs> no, no, that's not what it means, John. A necromancer would be magic. Oh, that's true. It's right, but don't they raise the dead? <laughs> right. Yes, necrophilia. but necrophili yeah. necrophiliacs want them not to move, John. Do you understand? That's right. That's right. They like very. They want tranquility. They're looking for a piece of tranquility. Oh, dude, <laughs> I, I, I understand that part. That part gonna, I understand. If they would just gonna, shut up. <laughs> I'm going to get you a dictionary for Christmas, okay? It's a book. It's a big book. You'll see a lot of words in it. <laughs> a necromancer. Oh, I'm going to have to use it to go back and look at this interview. Uh, I've been to the necropolis. That's a building, John. That's a building. This guy got his kinks. You don't even oh, know what his kinks are. <laughs> All he knows is where he likes to stick it. That's it. It's weird. Jesus Christ. <laughs> her headstone number what's the matter with you i don't oh, that, know that reminds me of a joke okay let me tell you this is a very old joke this is a great joke it's an irish joke mm -hmm. so in uh, you know england and ireland and scotland they treat cemeteries a little bit different than we do here they actually they'll have a picnic in the cemetery the cemeteries are hundreds of years old they're 
they're you know nobody knew has been buried there in a long time so they're all right. perfectly manicured and everything so actually one one sunday morning there's a guy still on a bender from saturday night mm-hmm. and he's cutting through the cemetery to get home and all of a sudden he 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 kneels down he kind of squats down behind a headstone this old woman comes in with flowers the sun's just coming up you can see to put him on a husband's grave and she sees him like she thinks he's trying to hide behind this big tombstone so she just looks over and she says, morning. And he goes, nope, just taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a minute oh, to get that one. So it takes a minute. I've never heard you tell me that. Well, that's fucking great. Morning. John, nope. I have thousands of jokes I've never told you. Oh, I, know. I can't. <laughs> he, he sent me pictures of books. Over the it's so this is like porn basically, but it was just but it was just I mean stacks and stacks. Most of them you would you were just cataloging, cataloging where you you weren't even like you weren't even like like you were not done with them yet. You're just like well these go here, these go here. Yeah, what I did was for the last um <clears throat> since COVID, it was March of last year when COVID started. Mm-hmm. There was a book, an old comedy book. Uh, actually, it's a psychology book uh, about comedy. And that I wanted. And I went, let me look on eBay. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. read a book. Because remember, back at the beginning, we thought this was going to be weeks, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So let me get a book I haven't read, you know. And I got it on online. It was like 15 bucks. It was from, it was printed in 1968. Okay. And I get it. I didn't know it was almost a thousand pages long. <laughs> wow. And I start reading the book. And then that led into a whole year of collecting what ended up being collection on books on the psychology of humor and laughter the philosophy of humor and jokes and old joke books very old joke books not like truly tasteless jokes that came out in the 80s but uh my oldest joke book is from uh, 1882 Uh, most of them were written in the teens and 20s they're getting harder and harder to find Mm -hmm. but people don't want them they don't they just who i mean who really buys old books anymore if you're not a collector so mm-hmm. I got them at very low prices and I just kept buying them as I found them. So now uh, I had added up just the old joke books. Uh, I have, uh, I think it's 22 of them, uh, 22 or 23 of them, but I added up the jokes in them. And so in the last year, uh, since last March, I've read 43,390 jokes. Holy wow. fuck. Probably about 10,000 of them repeated. Many times. Right. Oh, um, God. So, nice. but I just read those. And I, I would tear through a joke book. Some of them have 5,000, 10,000 jokes in them. Right. So I would, I mean, it would take me a, a week to get through them. And then I'd go and read a book on psychology of humor and uh, uh, then the philosophy of humor and uh, comedy in ancient theater and Greece. And I've just filled my head for the last year with all of this stuff because i'm such a historian kind of so let me you know? ask you this since you've yeah. been reading all these jokes what do you think of what was it like five years ago they said they figured out what the funniest joke in the world was and i think you know i think you've told me it before yes too. but you, you think it you holds can't, up you you can't do that you, you can't have a funniest joke and so it's impossible right you can't because it's totally subjective it's totally up to the listener whether or not it's funny right it's art you can yeah, yeah you you can have a technically perfect joke I like I think, that. like uh, uh, Myron Cohen on one of his two albums, he has a bit called "Long Coattails." It's probably the most perfect long story I've heard. 
Ooh. Um, and it's about, I would think maybe seven minutes or eight minutes, one long, it's one joke. Right. You could write it in a paragraph, but he, he turned them into stories mm -hmm. and would tell these big, big stories, but long coattails is it's a long piece, Yeah. but it's part, and it does have one line in that you couldn't do nowadays on stage. You, could, there's, you couldn't do it at all. Um, cause he refers to a gay character, a gay person in it mm -hmm. by, you know, not, not, a not the, the bad F word. Right, but right, another right. slur, you know, another yeah. thing that's not bad, but you couldn't do it now. Right, sure. And uh, so, so some comedy has aged that way, especially in the books that I got, the ones from 1880. Right. Oh, wow. you can't do those no more. <laughs> 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 oh, no. Oh, no. And not even close. And some of them I've actually began studying going, can I can I re-engineer this joke? Like, right. can I change it? Because you don't need, you know, when you hear like a, the, the in the 80s there was this or the 70s and 80s there was this big you know the Polak jokes which was mm -hmm. they were just what they called numbskull jokes or dimwit jokes from a century before sure nobody in the joke had to be Polish for the joke to work it right just, yeah. and before it was Polish the the Irish in this country were considered the 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 not too bright and you know that there's always somebody Right. That, Every nationality of, had their dumb yeah. day in the sun. <laughs> but that's what a lot of the younger, this this very touchy-feely, um, offended uh, yeah. thing. And I, and I understand it to a point, but there, there's a simple uh, algebra to a joke. Every joke mm -hmm. has to have a victim. It has to. The right. thing in the joke has to happen to someone mm -hmm. or something. Somebody reacts to it happening. You need a victim. You can't tell a joke without a victim. It's impossible. Right. You can't have one. <laughs> and sometimes it's the listener who's the victim yeah. of the joke, but you need, and that's what they're all, you know, a lot of people now are sitting there waiting to be offended. Mm -hmm. So they hear a word and that's all they needed. Mm. And now they're offended. Yeah. And then when you press them as to why they shut it down by trying to blame you for your racism or homophobia or your, your misogyny. You, you know right. I, mean? I know, I know these are big words and it's late, John, the dictionary is coming. <laughs> so, but that's what that's what I mean. They they're waiting to get offended just because you say, you know, you can't you it's almost like it's the 20s again. It's almost like it's vaudeville again. You can't say, I was talking to this broad. You can't say that. Right. They're gonna get offended. And broad was actually if you said broad on stage, you would be fired in vaudeville. It's weird though. If you wow. I feel like yeah, I feel like if you yeah. flipped it and you turn the victim into hero because really they're sacrificing themselves for the benefit and the enjoyment of the audience. So well, if you just yes, <laughs> in a way, yes. But what people are not on the what a lot of people are not uh, accepting is the fact that a joke. If you're not telling a story that happened to you, a, a, yeah. a, a, an anecdote from your own life. If you're telling right. a joke, every joke happens mm -hmm. encapsulated in this mystical world. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. When two guys walk into a bar and boom, 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 this, that, and the other thing, bang. When the joke ends, that whole world disappears. Right, the people in it didn't exist. Yeah, Oof, it's gone like smoke. But mm -hmm. they get offended because they think because you used a certain word or a certain term, yeah, that that you are either ignorant or you uh, are uh, just behind this movement of ganging on, you know, jumping on to yeah, being hateful. That, exactly, that, yeah, being, being hateful. hateful. Do you exactly. find that it's usually not the groups themselves? that are part of the joke getting offended, but people outside of that group getting offended for the specific group. Yeah, I have, 
I've been doing stand-up since 1989, 88, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. 90, somewhere around there. I've never done racial stuff particularly. There's mm -hmm. three things I never touch. I never touch sexuality, religion, uh, or politics on stage. Yeah. Because the minute you basically kind of choose a side in a joke, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have a chance of losing at least 50% of the audience. Yep. So that's why I don't touch those three subjects. But mm. racially, I've never really done anything racially on stage. I just don't right. talk about race. Sure. Um, but uh, no one in my life telling jokes and stuff at parties and stuff. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never made a joke that had an Asian uh, character in it. And might come across as uh, derogatory in some way to Asians. I've never had an Asian be mad at me for telling it. Right, right. Never. I've never told a joke about Mexicans and never had a Mexican ever be upset with me. Right. Now, there, there could be two reasons. One, because they're not offended. Or two, I know how to read a room and I'm not stupid. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's, a, you know, the problem is people thought, uh, you know, the... Uh, Phyllis Diller story when she retired and the queen mother, she did a command performance in London. Oh no. So okay, Phyllis kind of retired from stand up. Right. Phyll Phyllis was a classically trained pianist. She was mm -hmm. one of, a great piano player, a phenomenal classically trained pianist. Right. And she kind of retired from stand up. She wasn't performing. And then her agent or whatever was contacted the queen mother. I don't think it was the queen, but the queen mother mm -hmm. want, wanted to see her perform and asked if she would come to London for like a kind of, I don't know if it's called a command performance when it's not the queen who asked you to do it. Right, right. It was her mother. I don't know. But so she was like, wow, I would love because I, where are we going to do it? And it was at some hall. It wasn't at the the big, big one, but it was at this nice hall with the London Symphony. The London Symphony was going to play. Wow. Where they play. So she's thinking, oh my, she starts picking up Beethoven and Mozart and these big pieces. Mm -hmm. She flies over. And walks in with all of her music. Right. She's like three days early, and this is what I want to play. And they go, Oh, you play the piano? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why was I? She totally didn't understand they wanted her to do comedy. Wow. Oh, wow. So she did half a stand up and then half at the piano. Wow. So it was great. But afterwards, they interviewed her and asked, What is the difference? Because she did both in one show. Mm -hmm. So, what is the difference between doing stand up and playing the piano and with the orchestra and she said oh i'll tell you the difference they said the hall she played was like four thousand people okay wow. she said when i go out to play the piano and i sit down with a full orchestra and i start to play this this part of the symphony there is no one sitting in this theater that can do what i'm doing i walk out to do stand-up comedy i'm in front of four thousand comedians <laughs> <laughs> and that's absolutely yeah. right Yep. Because people think it's so easy because the better you are at it, the easier it looks. You, you'll see as you get better and you'll find <laughs> out. It'll happen. It'll happen. Oh, I'm getting. <laughs> It'll happen. And But people just think it's easy. And because they think it's easy, whenever you mm -hmm. do a joke that has a victim of maybe some racial undertone into this joke, they yeah. immediately think, oh, well, obviously he's just either too ignorant to know it's wrong mm -hmm. or he's doing it because he means it. He agrees with right. putting down other people. And again, it's usually never the people that are in the joke. Like you were saying, it's never, <laughs> never them. It's right. never them. But uh, I mean, shy of, you know, making fun of the dead that, you know, yeah. there's a chance they're going to be there, you know?
It is interesting that people do often observe comedians and they just think that they're fucking lucky. They're like, yeah, that guy just got a lucky break on TV on Conan or, uh, oh. or doing, you know, performing in front of whatever, as opposed to every other thing. When somebody paints a picture, it's fucking magic. If you can't paint, you're uh-huh. like, that's not real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how the hell did he right. that fucking man? But, but for whatever reason, personality, they don't understand that comedians are thinking six different things in the back of their head. Like, you know, most of the time when you're on stage and you're telling jokes, you're you're not thinking of what you're saying. You're thinking of six other who did right, that right. and what's the next bit and you know, uh reading well, the fucking know, room. You know why? It's because people, meaning civilians, mm-hmm. they they do not know the difference between funny and comedy. That that's the difference. Right. Because they had a funny uncle, or they're the funny person at work, or mm-hmm. they had a friend in high school who's hilarious, or the mailman is hysterical. And they mm-hmm. would say, you should be a comedian because that person is funny. Right. That person's funny. Comedy is structured funny. It's repeatable. Yes. It works again and again in front of different people that you don't even know. You have nothing mm-hmm. in common with them other than you're in the same building. Yeah. And yeah. that's the difference. People don't understand the difference between funny and comedy. And they go, oh, you only work an hour a night. I, I, I hated that when I was doing the road road. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, I did only work an hour tonight. In right. in like in Des Moines. Okay. Yes, I did. I did. I happen to live in New York, half a country away from where we're standing. <laughs> so I'm not with my family. Right. And the other 23 hours, I was in a motel room in a bad part of town mm-hmm. with nothing to eat because that place didn't have a restaurant. Right. So the only thing I'm eating is when I come here to the club, you know, when the dishwasher comes to pick me up in his car reeking of pot. To take me back to the club so we could do the show, but he's got to pick me up at five thirty because he's got to pick me up on his way to work, and right. the show doesn't start till nine. So I, you know, they they and they shouldn't yeah. know that. No, they shouldn't know that. I think it was Duke Ellington said something like, "An audience shouldn't know if it's a flatted fifth or an extended eleventh. They just got to know that shit swings." And oh, it's right. The really? audience doesn't have to know the technicality of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing with stand up. They shouldn't. Be able to see the magic. They can't look behind the curtain, you know. Right. Yeah. I was trying to. There's a great story that I love, and I'm trying to think of the. I. The, you. We both know the. Or, what's the orchestra that does the? That's famous for the Christmas music every year. Trans Siberian. Um, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. Their bus breaks down. You've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this many times. Whatever, but it's just about showbiz. Whatever. The bus breaks down, and they've they've got a. It's a blizzard, slush, snow everywhere. The whole thing, and they got to walk the rest of the way to the gig, and they're trudging. Th- you know, they're they're stuff's all soaked they're dragging their instruments and everything because it's not that far and they've come across this house and they see the big window and a beautiful family's on the inside and they're sitting down to eat or whatever and just one of the band members looks at them and goes "Ugh, how do people live like that (laughs) (laughs) i love that very good povo that was a very good well-told joke Thank you. Thank you. Look at you. There's, there's one one in a row. All right. <laughs> it's the only one I'm doing. I, I, I'm going out on top and undefeated. Oh, wow. in this. <laughs> you, you, you met your quota for June. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it? So you were talking about, you're the only person I know, the only comic I know who has a direct line to vaudeville, a direct connection to vaudeville. And yeah, there, there aren't many of us. No, I, you're the yeah. literally out of everybody I know. I think you're the only. I mean, you're the, the only one that has a pure direct line. Your grandfather. Greg, yeah, my grandfather was a dancer in uh, yeah. vaudeville in 1920s, which uh, is 19 teens, 1920s. Yeah, 
Which is funny because they always say, and this is you've been reading the comedy psychology books, stuff like that, that it skips or, te- or you know, any kind of entertaining performance skips a generation. So nobody in your family between you and my grandfather. Uh, yeah, is a performer, right? And it's just you. And no, him. yeah, right. But it does usually skip a generation. Like, for instance, your, your parents must be hysterical. <laughs> well, <laughs> it does usually. <laughs> It does usually skip. I've heard that that it skips a generation. Yeah, but yeah, my grandfather was uh, came. He was, my grandfather was born in 1900, and he mm-hmm. came here from Puerto Rico in 1915 when he was 15 years old. Right. And to make his first monies because he didn't speak English, um, because Puerto Rico had just become a commonwealth in, in 19, I think wow. 12 or 1913. So he didn't need a passport. Mm-hmm. So he came here and um, he made his money dancing. That's what he did, you know, and that, that's, that's awesome. what got him into vaudeville. I think only honestly, uh, Greg Vaccarello, uh, which is pronounced Vaccariello, lives in Vegas. Great cool. comic from New York. And Greg, I believe, had an, a great aunt that was in vaudeville or an aunt that oh, performed wow. in vaudeville because vaudeville kind of was over by the I mean, it was dying once television kind of popped up. But 1951, I think, or 53, the last vaudeville house closed. So in the 40s, it was already dying. You know, radio heard it and then television and talkies heard it. Right. There wasn't really that much. What what we consider stand-up was non-existent back then, right? Stand-up, technically the first stand-up comic in the United States. I don't know if this happened in in England or in Mm -hmm. France, but the first guy to really be the the prototype stand-up comic is Frank Fay, uh, a -hmm. very disliked, despised human being. Wow. He was incredibly racist. He had an ego like crazy and everybody knew it. Like George Burns always said, everybody hated him. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind him when he was on stage, but once he got to the wings, I was just like everybody else. Like he, <laughs> and not even George Burns liked him. But back then, if you talk about the 19 teens, early 20s, I mean, really, mm-hmm. 19 teens, really, he was the first one not doing an accent because everybody was a dialect comic. And oh, everybody, okay. comedy didn't happen unless you were in a team. Wow. You ha- everybody had a team. He was the first guy to stand alone in one, which meant the curtain remained closed. He came out in front of the curtain to mm-hmm. a microphone and just performed, not with an accent, not with a clown costume, in a suit, and just delivered stand up. So he's kind of a monologue that back then they were called monologists. So he, right. Frank Fay was really the first prototype stand up comic. Right. Um, he just happened to be a despised human being, you know. <laughs> but, but, but that's the reason if it was george burns you would have known about it george was loved so he was also the first podcaster technically without a <laughs> the first <laughs> kind of comedian kind of despise. yes yes um that's great but but then i guess the stand-up that we kind of ne- like you know modern stand-up trying to think because i don't i know you would know but what was it it wasn't it, did it start with um not even caught. Well, it started with him, and then it was you had also Will but Rogers. Who told their first appe- uh, um, personal stories? That didn't start till when? Because it was mostly just a shared, almost like a shared act, right? Well, yeah, Voidville, a lot of guys bought what they call chap books. I have some that I've collected in the last year, like I said. They're very small books mm-hmm. of the hottest new jokes being done in Vaudeville. Wow. And they would write them up, and you know, you had different Vaudeville, you had like uh, some of the smaller, lower level, you had Mm -hmm. nine, 12 uh, entertainers on a show out of which maybe four were comedians or three were comedians doing seven, seven minutes, seven or eight minutes, 
six, seven times a day, six days wow. a week. And wow. because there was no television, no radio, there were guys doing like the big guys that would do 12 or 14 minutes at mm -hmm. toward the end of the show, the big headliners, they could do the same exact 12 minutes for 20 years Good Lord. and wow. never be seen by the same audience. Wow. That's how much traveling there was. That was the reason that Jerry didn't want to do when they gave him Colgate, uh, when uh, they offered Martin and Lewis the Colgate Comedy Hour to be the permanent hosts. Right. For tremendous money. Dean immediately said yes, as Jerry said no. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> and Dean was like, why? And it turned out Jerry had had a conversation with Buster Keaton mm -hmm. because they offered Keaton his own series, which he eventually did do. He needed the money. But they right. asked for him. And back then, a season was 39 weeks, not 22 like now. Wow. 39 episodes a year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Keaton said no immediately. And they said, why? And he told Jerry, no matter how many gag writers you have, you're going to burn out within weeks. You can't come up with that much material for right. 30, 39 half hours. Never mind hours. Colgate Comedy Hour was an hour. But yeah. Buster was going to get a half hour show. He said, you, I, you can't come up with that much. So Jerry did the math and he figured out in one airing of the Colgate Comedy Hour, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of people that saw it on television would have taken about 100 years in vaudeville. Oh, wow. in one In one hour, you gave away... That's why I tell younger comics, don't put every new setup on, on, on YouTube. Do yes. not put it on your pay. Don't because it's never going to come down. Right. And so when somebody looks you up in five years from now, when you're working and they go, Oh, John Poveromo. And they look, well, you're a bad, you're a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, let me, let me explain why. Like if you get some young comic and then they're starting and they're really not good. Right. And then in six years, now they're working. They're actually mm -hmm. getting middle stuff. They're closing some rooms and somebody looks their name up uh, and yeah. they find three older clips. They're not going to hire them. Absolutely. You know, you're a bad example because you, you've never changed. You 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 are right where you are the day <laughs> I, I met you. you Straight you're through. That, there's something to be said for that. There's something <laughs> for that. I mean, the way you've avoided getting better at every turn is amazing. It shows you're humble, John. It shows you're humble. I just try to change my appearance every now and again. That's what I thought was what you were supposed to do. Sure. I, don't, I can see. I just wanted thicker glasses. <laughs> John's also doing the same 12 minutes for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bad John. That's what I'm calling yeah. it from now on. Bad you know what? Those, those map quest jokes still hit. Sure. <laughs> oh, my MySpace song? Closer. My MySpace song? Closer. Let me tell oh, you. that's great. Sure. Oh, shit. I got a whole bit yeah. about you got mail. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I used to work with a comic. I uh, who you, who every every fucking time I'd see him, he would do Clinton jokes, Clinton blowjob jokes, and I would oh. be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, man? right. Yeah, anything that's... you know. And yeah, he updated would updated a little. Yeah. Oh, I know. And he would preface it by by telling the audience he knows that they're out, but then still go into it anyway. And I'd be like. The fuck? Why? He actually what? told them he knew yeah. it. <laughs> he like he was an antique was... dealer. <laughs> <laughs> this is a classic. <laughs> uh, you're gonna love this, folks. You got a little. I, I, you got a little lever on your table. I want you to pull it. We're gonna go back to 1990. <laughs> oh, that we gave. You can make a Casey and Case impression. Work with that. I think that would yeah, be really sure. great. Wow, oh, that's fucking hysterical! Yeah, they used to. Drive uh, I could see the nuts. merchandise too. Dial up. 
Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm selling rotaries after the show. Uh, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking it's just it's just brutal, man. I like that's the, that's the thing, man. If you if you don't you have you said something to me the first time because I took uh um, get away from me. I think that's what it was. <laughs> enough already. No, it was enough already. I said enough already. <laughs> enough already. Enough. I know. I was in your pockets. It was uh <laughs> don't talk to me till you get a haircut, off? young man. You got any hot candy? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you keep your jokes? Um, I was very tiny. I was very, very tiny. Uh, <laughs> I've grown an inch since, but... Wait, that reminds me of a joke. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a comic who gets a gig at a, at a, a senior place, you know? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to do it. He, he's heard their nightmares. And the, the people say, look, all you got to do is 45 minutes. You know, it's $1,500. Two mm -hmm. in the afternoon. Oh, the guy, okay, I can't say no to that. So he shows up. And it happens to be a senior place that's a recovering uh, 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 that specializes in people with memory problems as you get older. So, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, everybody has it. So he gets up in front of like 300 of these people, two in the afternoon, and he does his first joke. And they're great. They love it. He, he relaxes a little. Oh, goodness. All right. And he, and he figures, well, let me see how bad their memory is. He takes a, a sip of water, a long pause. Then he tells the same exact joke again. Screams even bigger than the first time he told it. He figured, no way. Am I going to get away with this? He does it a third time. They're pounding the tables. Goes, this is going to be easy. So about halfway through his 45 minutes, repeating the same joke over and over and over again, he notices one old guy in the back, in the back of the room. Mm -hmm. He's got this scowl on his face, and he keeps looking at his watch. And he goes, oh, no, no, this guy's on to me. So he does the <laughs> same joke for 45 minutes. He finishes. He gets paid. The guy's heading for the parking lot. He just wants to get out of there. And mm -hmm. here comes the old guy. Excuse me, comedian. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, there's something I want to ask you. Oh, geez. Yes, sir. He goes, I watched your whole show now. Uh, how do you remember all that material? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what were you going to say, John? I don't even. <laughs> even doesn't even matter anymore. Yes. I don't even know. It <laughs> worked. <laughs> <laughs> what was I fucking gonna say? I don't even. Oh no, no. I was always gonna say no. I, I kind of remember now. Uh, this is always good. We'll cut this part out of the show. Uh, <laughs> we'll fix it in post. We'll, we'll fix, fix it in post. It. We'll fix it in post. It's fine. Yeah. I don't have anybody who does that, but we'll fix it in post. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's 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 just me, and it depends on if I'm lazy <laughs> enough or not. Really, it's all up to me. Uh, the, the guy who's editing this is a real fucking son of a bitch, though. Um, uh, no, I was gonna say, I when I when I met you, you said um, you said a lot of stuff, but it was I took a comedy class, you said you a did. lot of things, and and did. I did, but you came at the very end to talk to us about, um, you know what it takes to be in this business, and you you rattle off like a hey, if you don't like traveling and long hours and being a beer and but everything that was supposed to be not discouraging but just supposed to be somewhat like hey this is the reality of it it's off-putting i was going yeah no huh i want to do all of that <laughs> i was sure. like don't mind travel same clothes yeah. okay that's sure. fine <laughs> yeah i knew you i knew i i didn't know you never know but i really had a strong feeling that you had i'm serious now i'm not gonna break your job mm. you had the gum you had this drive because all you wanted to do was learn 
and get better. That's mm. all you wanted to do. And you can you could see it in in some comedians, not just young ones, but I just mean newer. There's some people come to stand up who are 50, you know. Yeah. But but if they they have to be like a sponge, they've got to want to know more mm. and they've got to have that gene to always try and get better. If right. you don't have those two things, you're starting in a deep hole, a really deep hole. Yeah. You have to have those two things to learn and and have a drive to get better. You 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 have to. There's no other reason to be in it. Yeah. Because I, I, otherwise you're saying that when you start, you're as good as you have to be. And right. that's it. I was gonna that's, say I never which is ridiculous. The, yeah. I never understood the dudes who already came into it, no matter what age, like you said, who just think they're it. They they've reached the point they're already good enough. Yeah. You know, that's fear. why yeah. That's absolute <laughs> yeah, fear. That's yeah. fear. Yeah. They're they're, mm. they're walking in ego first. Right. Just being cocksure of themselves as a de immediate deflection, like a shield right. of I don't have to listen to you because I already know. Yeah. And so I it, give, you know, I give comics three rebuttals, three. And that, that's my, my limit. When mm -hmm. if, if, if somebody comes to me for advice, if a mm -hmm. comic said, like you did, would, would you watch my set? And the first thing yeah. he said to you was, all right, but I'm going to really tell you what I think of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't ask me for advice if you don't want to listen. Yeah. So if somebody asked me something about it, even a bit, some new comic would say, Hey, did you see the new bit? It killed tonight. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. D did you notice anything or maybe I could change or something? So they're asking for advice mm -hmm. and I'll say something like, well, the, the beginning here, you know, you really went a little far. You should pull back. And if they mm -hmm. explain it away, well, I do that because of this, 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 and this. Oh, okay. Right. And then I give them a second one. The third time I tell you something and you explain it away after that, for the rest of your career, I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> no, that makes sense. That makes, they don't yeah, really yeah. want the advice. They just want reinforcement. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's annoying as shit. So, yeah. I saved what you wrote to me the first the first time. And one of the things that I loved was uh, you went, I mean, you went, because it was five minutes. Hmm. Uh, it was at Caroline's. And you went, he goes, he goes you're funny. He, he, you go, you're funny. You got material. Nice. He goes, but move the fucking mic stand. For the love of God. <laughs> he goes get on stage move the fucking mic then he goes if you yeah. do this again and i see that <laughs> and i swear to god from that moment on all i could hear mm -hmm. was what you and i began on stage yeah get it out of the like, way yeah. yeah and then there was even years later man there was um oh god it was it must have been like it must have been when i was out in la or whatever it was but i got into a bad hat you know what it is i think but i got into a bad yeah a bad habit of uh, leaning on the mics, and you were like hanging on the mic stand. You're like, <laughs> you yeah. was like, I'll break your fucking arm <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I see you leaning on. The and it was, it was a, in why? You know why? This is why. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, you know, the phrase uh, "practice makes perfect." Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that's wrong. It's an absolutely incomplete sentence. Hmm. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice hmm. makes perfect. If you oh. practice doing something wrong, you're going to get great at fucking it up. Right. Yeah. You have a proper. Now, if you hang on the mic stand just as a habit and never fix it, mm -hmm. and then you get the Tonight Show where there's not even a microphone in your hand. Right. You're fucked. Because then you're terrified. Yeah. So it's a sloppy habit. It's just like, you know, Seinfeld had always said, if you're writing, why would you write a joke you can't do on the Tonight Show? Right. You know, why would you work it out and get it to work if you couldn't do it? Because back then, everybody was aiming for The Tonight Show. That was his point. Yeah. Well, everybody yeah. was aiming for that. But it is true. I mean, if you're going to write a bit that's, you know, 
that you could never do on television. But that's also changed because now there's so much cable. Yeah. You know, and not even mm -hmm. pay cable. You know, TBS, you know, a TNT, you can do some heavy language stuff into some heavy language stuff or subject matter you want to. HBO, it's free reign. You know, it's right. showtime. You know, you yeah. do whatever you want. So that has changed. It's a wider uh, area that you can hit with comedy. But you should always, you can always blew it up you can always yeah curse you can always add what you want the joke itself should be a well-written piece right you can always that's you know i always tell everybody it's like golf it's like golf you have your swing your mm -hmm. swing is your swing you don't change your swing no matter what your situation is you change your club you don't change the swing right the swing is the swing so you as a persona your persona on stage not you but a comedian on right. stage then you get you have your swing, you have your persona, you have your thing. You don't change that. Yeah. You can change the, you know, the way you deliver material. You could change the yeah. way you're, you're putting it and the verbiage and the different words you're putting into it. But mm -hmm. you're you, you can't change you. You, well, you shouldn't. Yeah. I know guys that act differently in different bits. Like they're a totally different comic. Yeah. And there's no consistency there. They haven't found their voice yet. That's what that is. They're trying to find right. their persona, the way they want to come across on stage, you know? Yeah. And that's not you. Years. I'm talking. I'm talking about profession, <laughs> professionals, right? <laughs> you know, people with a, a future and a glimmer of hope in their career. <laughs> right, right. I'm just hoping for a hair commercial. That's all I need. And then I sure. Can, then it's uh, adios amigos into the sunset. That's all. <laughs> that's all I'm doing. <laughs> what do you uh, the TV thing? Because I know that like so. You what started do you part your hair with an M80? I mean, really, how do you, how do you get a comb in there? What do you use a hatchet? I'm just asking. What do you run into an open door frame? Just wham, right in the head. It, I love the image of an M80. Just blow back. Oh, that'd be hilarious. This is, I might go for a hair. But the, the woman who usually cuts my hair called me and she was like, are you coming I in? Quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> she's having a baby she's like i can't do this for much longer do you want to come in tomorrow and i was like i don't know i i i had sometimes i want to get it cut and then other times i'm like let's just see what happens well at, at uh, this point they would have to bury you up to your neck and run you over with a lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> i'm clipping all these and i'm putting them together this is gonna be the whole it's gonna be its own <laughs> section <laughs> oh my god fuck I'm thinking, so what I was, you started in 88, right? You Somewhere said, around there, late 80s, early 90s, yeah, 90, 91. And people were still looking for the for the TV spots, basically, at this point. Oh, now yeah. that they're, I mean, not that they're not doing that anymore, but like you just said, there's no yeah. point, there's no point, but I mean, it doesn't do what it normally does. It was but, special when there was two of them, when it was Carson yeah. and Letterman, and that was it. Right, but did it I mean, seem like a, it... Oh, Did it yeah. seem homogenous back then, or does it only seem... Because it seems like that to me now. Like, I could literally walk out of the room... And there could be six different comedians that have come on, but they all fucking sound the same to me when they're on TV. Because it seems like people have figured out a cadence, the rhythm. Oh, the, yeah. The, like it, but was it like that no. uh, then, too? No, I didn't think so. No. Not that I noticed, but you're right. It's become almost like pop music. Oh, where, you yeah. know, the, the, the top, top ten songs, you could, inter, you could interchange all the singers on them. It does, right. It's the same, you know, it doesn't... Yeah. Uh, but it, what, it, everybody was kind of... Now I, I got to be careful because I'm looking back now, knowing who's still around. That's the difference. 
-hmm. while it was going on, maybe they a great many of them did sound alike. But the, the reason for that was you had like Eddie Brill, great comic, who yeah. was he was in charge of casting the stand-ups for Letterman. Yes. So Eddie had he was looking for a specific, not specific type of comic, but uh, right. some edgier some newer un unknown kind of guys mm -hmm. but had a in, in a way a similar edge to them because mm -hmm. it fit dave's audience yeah you but, know? Did the, but didn't romano get his big break on letterman because he's not i wouldn't consider yeah. him edgy though right or like a letterman type no but ray was one of the most he was like uh, this is going to sound like an insult but it's not he was mm -hmm. like a breath of old air because Ooh. He he was so familiar. His style mm -hmm. and his material mm -hmm. was so familiar to everyone who watched, mm -hmm. because he had a very old school uh, uh, set of material mm -hmm. and an old school laid back kind of delivery. He was the put upon guy with the wife and the twins and the house and the mortgage and his parents nearby. What his show was based on was yeah. was his stand up, mm -hmm. and so he had he was like the last guy through that door a very home yeah. sitcom. A very, he was like the last kind of sitcom like that with the big ensemble cast. Right. It was a fairly big ensemble and everybody carried their weight, you know? Right. Yeah. The first, uh, the, his Letterman appearance, he tells a joke on Letterman that is in the first episode of everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. It's Cause the it was all bit. based. Yeah, yeah. It was all based on his standup. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen. Were you a fan of like Kinnison and those guys when they were? My, I, I'm a fan of anyone. I mean this, who's mm -hmm. performing comedy, right? Coming coming from a place of comedy, not that yeah. they're trying to be funny, not that they're you know they heard something and they're gonna slap together some pieces and do it on. If you really come from a world of comedy, I, I uh, like Sam's particular type of comedy. Mm -hmm. like like dice clay that's yeah. not my that's not my vein of comedy mm -hmm. i'm a you know me i'm very all my idols were in black and white when i was a kid yeah 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 you know, it was it was jack benny and milton and you know martha ray and like really old old school comic till i was 10 mm -hmm. i didn't know you were allowed to shoot comedy in color i thought <laughs> it had to be in black and white <laughs> And people, people would break my chops. I'd be like, don't you watch Happy Days? And I swear, I said, yeah, but it, that's not comedy. And what, <laughs> wow. what I meant, what, what I meant was, it was so formulaic. Mm -hmm. Even when I was a kid, I would outguess the punchline. I would get there before. Yeah. I just saw where it was going. I understood comedy. I was not just a fan of comedy when I was a kid. I was studying it. Mm -hmm. I would watch Chaplin. And or Keaton, and I would go, wait, why did he do that? And I would replay it in my head because we right. didn't have VCRs yet. And yeah. I would replay, I'd get up and do it physically. I would mm -hmm. do physical bits of comedy to try and figure out why they did that next. And what, you know, right. I, I was always studying comedy. Yeah. Uh, not just but, liking it, but. And I liked your, to your point when you were saying about like, you, you appreciate anybody who gets up there and, and performs or whatever, because it's yeah. the same way I describe like, uh, like everybody always goes in two corners, whether you're a Marx Brothers guy or a Stooges guy or whatever. I can appreciate the Stooges, right. I understand where they're coming from, but I love the Marx Brothers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's totally like, different, right? Totally different way of working. But both from uh, both started in vaudeville. I mean, that yes. was uh, and in theater. You know, the Marx Brothers were were smart in that they worked out any gags for their films they took mm -hmm. on the road first and did them in theaters. 
Right. And then brought them to the, they worked out and then brought it back to the studio and shot it on film. See, and you, you know, can I say, again, I'm going to give you another comment. You're the, you're the only other guy I know in this business who also got to work and befriend their idols. Yeah, there's not, not yeah, there's not many because, yeah, no, I met, uh, you mean Jerry, Jerry Lewis. Jer Well, yeah, Jerry, and yeah. also I'm thinking of Chris Rush, too, because there's you and Jerry. Oh, yeah, so you got that's me work, and yeah. JL, yeah. Yeah, that was me which and I JL. love that photo, by the way. Did you, was that, who's that was. Max took that bet was backstage at the Westbury Music Fair on Long Island. Jerry had mm -hmm. just done his show and I was backstage and Max, who had a bad leg because his his stroke he had had, he said, I'm going to take a picture. Now, JL, when he sat down, you know, he was very old. You know, he was, right. he was 86, 87 at that point. So when he sat, he was he shrank. He disappeared into the chair. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I squatted all the way down next to him and Max tried to line up the camera. So Max put his back to the wall and was sliding down the wall, trying to get even <laughs> with me and Jerry. And it was going to be a perfect picture. <laughs> but then Max almost slipped and fell on his ass on, on the floor. And that picture is the middle of JL going, are you kidding me? That's exactly what that is. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah that's so that's great, great. Yeah. oh my god i love it that's so that's so fun great yeah yeah. So me, yeah there aren't many people who may well my, like i said my idols were old they were right i knew you know alan king i knew alan king really well i was gonna say um, alan king yeah. and uh alan king chris and rush. rush and um robert klein well i've worked with robert a lot you worked with robert a lot but was he was sure. he one of your idols when you started or was it was he more like I, this is embarrassing. He was, but I didn't know it was him because no my way. friends, my friend's parents had the albums. Okay. And I listened to it, but I never knew who it was. Wow. And I was like, wow. And I would memorize the bits. Mm -hmm. And then, you, then I'm doing stand up, and then you want to open because me and Robert had the same manager at one time. You want to mm -hmm. open for Klein? It's sure. Oh yeah. Great. I knew him as a name and a legend. And then when I met him, as soon as he spoke to me, I went, oh, my God, it's the guy from the records. <laughs> and I realized he was I didn't know that I was an idol, that he was an idol of mine. That's oh, great. my God. Yeah. I didn't I know that. I, That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I opened from like there's a print. I'll tell you this story. This I never told you this story. Okay. I was opening for every time I see him. He always says, are you related to Mike Starr? <laughs> Now, Mike Starr is a, a ubiquitous actor. He's been, another big word, dictionary coming. Um, <laughs> he's been in a million things. He was in uh, Goodfellas, and he was the one who worked at the airport, who gave him the keys. You walk in, oh, there's nobody okay. there. I'm it. Is there security? I'm it. That's yeah. Mike Starr. Okay. Mike's been in everything. Everything. Right. And there's a physical likeness to us, big cookie jar head. We look the same. <laughs> so I get from some casting people have asked me, are you Mike's brother? Because Mike has a brother. So okay. they ask me if I'm the brother. So every time I see Klein, he'd ask me, are you Mike Starr's? No, I'm not. Uh, every time he asked me, mm -hmm. we have the same manager. I've worked with him, you know, a dozen times. But this one night we're at a theater in Jersey and I did really well. Mm -hmm. When you open for somebody like Klein, it's his audience. The hardest person I ever opened for was Soupy Sales. That was the hardest oh. person to open for because he had diehard fans literally for 60 years. Wow. They did not want to see some young kid up there. They wanted to see Soupy. So right. it was the same thing with Klein, usually. His fans are his fans. Mm -hmm. But this one magic night, man, I hit it. I hit it hard, you know? And it was great. I felt good. So then there's an intermission. I come off, and the house is going to bring him up. 
from the, mm. you know, the voice of God is going to bring them up. But I, I want to go back out there. I just, I, you know, I did great. Yeah. So there's 20 minutes and he comes out of his dressing room and uh, as I come off and he goes, what did you do to my audience? And I go, what, <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, you just killed. And he, he's straightening out my jacket for me. And he was mm -hmm. so happy for me. It was really nice. He oh. said, you killed. That was so wonderful. I said, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Robert. That was, it was great. They're wonderful. They're going to love you. This is, this is such a great night. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I go, so how are you going to go out? Are they going to introduce you? Is somebody going to introduce you? Mm -hmm. And he goes, yeah, I think they're going to do it from the, from the house. And I go, don't you think I should introduce you? <laughs> yes. Yes, you should. He grabs a stage manager and he goes, Joe's going to, Joe's going to go back out there and introduce me. So I, I'm in the wings mm -hmm. and they're getting ready to bring up the spot to follow me out to the mic. Mm -hmm. And Robert was <laughs> fixing my tie for mm -hmm. me. And he's just fixing my tie. And I said, what do you want for your introduction? Like, what do you, what movie's coming out? He always has a movie coming out. Yeah. So he says uh, this, that, and the other thing and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and then tell them that I'm your biggest idol and I'm the reason you got into show business. <laughs> and, and, and he's still fixing my tie. And I go, well, that, you know, that, that's, that's true, Robert. And mm -hmm. he goes, what? And I said, you're the, you're the reason I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And there's a long pause where he's looking at me and I went, well, if you're going to fuck with me, I'm going to fuck with you. And he <laughs> And he choked me with my tie, going like that. <laughs> so then he, he smacks me on the face, and he goes, "Go, go, introduce me." So I go out. I get out two steps into the wings and mm -hmm. onto the stage, and the spot hits me, and I get an ovation, like this big round of applause. And I wow. turn to Clay. He's three feet behind me in the dark in the wings, wow. and I go, "Just get comfortable. I'll, uh, I'll be a minute." <laughs> and I, so I take my time walking out to the out to the mic. I get to the mic. I go, it is so great you decided to stay. Everybody laughs. <laughs> I said, because I get to bring up a really great comedian, a legend in the business. You might have seen him in this and this. You could see him in this upcoming movie, this. The reason I got into stand-up comedy, Mr. Robert Klein. And the lights go black. Black, black. Wow. Bob, Bob Stein, his keyboard player, comes out on stage right, comes out to the piano, sits down in the dark, and I'm, I'm standing pitch black on stage. <laughs> and then the, the follow spot that brought me out there now opens and bang, it hits him in the wings. And Robert comes out walking right at me. Now he's coming to the mic. I mm -hmm. got to get away from the mic. Right. And I have to pass him. And I had a moment that I didn't know in show business law. Do I reach into his spotlight to shake his hand? <sighs> so I didn't know what to do. So I'm just right. passing him and I'm kind of saying, have fun. And he reached, this was generous. He mm. reached out of his spotlight to shake my hand. Wow. That was very wow. generous. And then he goes, watch this asshole and walks right <laughs> past me. <laughs> and commences to destroy for an hour and a half. Wow. <laughs> Holy watch. shit. But he reached out, which was the greatest, that was the kindest thing an entertainer could do. Cause he knew I was confused about what, yeah. what do I do? You know, he yeah. can see he he can see me. The audience can't. I'm standing right in front of him. But he yeah. reached out of his spotlight to shake my hand. That's incredible. Said, thank, thank you, Robert. Have fun. Yeah, watch this asshole. And watch right <laughs> past me. Oh, it was so great. That is great. So that yeah, was... no, I love Klein. And then you did you you did that's is that after that, then you did like to the TV spots with him too, right? Because you did um oh, New Joke, New Joke City. City. Yes. I can't believe you brought that up. Yeah, New oh, Joke yeah. City. I'm bringing it all up. <laughs> yeah, that was on the Metro channel that doesn't exist that. anymore. Oh, yeah, New Joke City. 
Yeah, um, that was that was a fun. He hosted all of those. That was a three comic or four comic show. It was a showcase. Was that the original Gotham Room? The one before the move? That yes, yeah, it was in the original Gotham Metropolitan Room, right? I think now it's called or something like that. Yeah, oh, I have I have no idea. Oh, okay, yeah, because I remember I got to do Once that. Once they close, John, I don't go back. Why would I go back? <laughs> Why would I go back to a place that closed? Of course. Well, they usually <laughs> close after they hang my picture on the wall, and then the building cracks. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I start getting paid at a place, they're like, and uh -huh. we're done here, right? We packing right. it in. Uh -huh. <laughs> the owner's here. He wants to know why Poveromo's on the wall. Uh <laughs> what do we do? Get down to the bottom of the barrel? No, we had to move the barrel. We're digging now. We hit Poveromo. <laughs> we're at the end of the alphabet. Um, Three more feet, we might hit oil. <laughs> 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 oh my god so so wait so so you got robert klein you got uh jerry lewis uh and you've chris got rush, uh yeah. um chris rush amazing friendship with chris rush who i love <clears throat> i got to uh go to the tribute show that you guys did yeah um which was incredible to be at by the way thanks for inviting yeah. me because it was sure just a collection of literally all of the long island guys everybody that appreciated him a great beautiful montage video yeah. of his work some of it that i had never even seen before um, which was just really cool because I'm sure you know people always have footage and stuff like that from back in the day, yeah. but it was interesting to see it. Um, and, and and how did that friendship begin? Like, was that uh something met, that you orchestrated or something no, that happened since? No, I met Chris, I was booked out of the blue uh, at a place in Jersey, a restaurant actually, with mm -hmm. him on a Wednesday night. I was emceeing, so it was like 1990, I think it was 92, it was way back at the beginning, 92 and 93. 92, 93, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And um, went and picked him up in Queens. And I, of course, I knew who he was. Right. And he got in the car and he always felt, because he didn't drive, he always felt his, to make it fair, you're driving. Mm -hmm. His job was to make you laugh from the moment he got in the car <laughs> until he got to the gig. And then, <laughs> and then, then make you laugh from uh, getting to the gig until the show started. Mm -hmm. and then he'd go up and just be masterful and then come off and then make you laugh in the car all the way back home. <laughs> many times we almost crashed many times. We almost crashed because he was just that funny. He was a literal genius. He was a research molecular biologist. He yes. gave it up to become a comedian and wow. was the most, he oh was the, the, he ad libbed lines that after knowing him for years, I could write lines like that for him, but it would take me a week. And he would just ad lib it. One time, me and Joe Bronzy went to see Chris at the apartment. And we show up, and Bronzy had just gotten a haircut, had his glasses on, kind of a cardigan sweater over a turtleneck, khaki pants. Me, my hair was still black then, black leather mm -hmm. jacket, black jeans, and I'm, you know, broad shoulders and big neck. He opens the door and he goes, Oh my God, yuppie hitman. <laughs> Well, one works you over, the other one fucks up your stock portfolio. Come on in. <laughs> I mean, it was just it was just like that. Right. But he was notorious for that. Yeah. He was it just a joy of energy. Uh, and I worked with him he, as he was developing his one-man show, which is actually – where? let me move this way. That poster over my shoulder, that one eye. Yes, the one yeah. – I love that poster. Uh, no, not that way. This way. There, there it is. Go. Yeah, laughter is the sound of bliss. That was from his one man show, that poster. Right. And uh, he was wearing. George Carlin was backing that show. He was very good uh -huh. friends with Carlin, 
And uh, that's how I had conversations with George was, was when I was with Chris. And right. uh, Chris was working on that at the old Gotham. Uh, uh, an entire summer, we did the late show Saturday. I did a half hour. The Chris went up and did an hour. And he worked out wow. all the material. And then we'd talk about it after the show and, you know, put the bits together for what he wanted to do. I, I am trying to find, if you look a while, I'm looking down. I'm trying to find that picture of you two. I love it, but it's not, uh, you, you, you've got your stuff very well hidden, my friend, um, of you guys on the, <laughs> I just tried to go through your photos and I'm like, it's all gone. Where is it? Um, I'm not on, stupid. Um, I know. I know you're very, you're very good with that. Um, but yeah, there's a great photo of you two cracking up oh. on his lawn. I yes. love that photo. It's Let just two comics hanging out, enjoying uh, each other's company. It's a beautiful photo. I wish, I don't know why I didn't send it to you. I, uh, it, yeah, I've got all the ones that? of you and X and Jerry. Oh man. Well, yeah. In the movies. Cause I still oh. got, I'm not letting you go. I mean, I know it's we're, we're, we're uh, I'll cut this part out too. We're 15 minutes over, but you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Um, unless I'm unless here. you say unless you say it but i just i always try to let people know in case they need an out but i'm actually this you're well, the first guest i've had that i'm telling i'm not letting them go you'll <laughs> you'll know if you'll know if i want to leave because mm -hmm. i'll leave <laughs> i won't even say oh, goodbye i'll just get up great. and walk away <laughs> i know you got to find that pick that's a great pick though yeah the, you uh the the stories that you've told me of rush are just fucking priceless they're hilarious one of my uh favorites is the uh just the how many times you said he'd pick up the phone and oh and... i'll tell you something funny oh please i bought him a but he was a research molecular biologist he was also mm -hmm. a bit of a hypochondriac right but not in the average way mm -hmm. the average way is i have a cough let me look at WebMD. oh my god i have tuberculosis right mm -hmm. yeah not him being a research molecular biologist understanding pathogens and viruses mm -hmm. he could actually convince himself scientifically <laughs> that he was sick so i bought him a textbook good thousand pages of the 10 newest deadliest diseases <laughs> oh. you and i right and i gave it to him oh. and one night this i was i was living uh, I, I was single Mm -hmm. And my phone rang at like 3.30 in the morning. Now, he was notorious for going to bed at 5 in the morning and getting up right before Oprah came on. That's right. that, was his, oh. that was his thing. So he about 3, 3.30 in the morning, the phone rings. Mm -hmm. And I, I pick up. I see his number. I'm like, Chris, what, what's the matter, Chris? And he, he's whispering. His girlfriend's name is Megan. Mm -hmm. And he's whispering. He goes, Star, what? Me Megan's got Ebola. <laughs> i could tell she's laying right next to him i go chris chris she doesn't have ebola she fucking does star she's got all the fucking symptoms she does not have ebola chris she does you asshole she's got it listen uh, let me read you this page so he starts reading me the page of the symptoms none of which she has oh god and he goes now here's the killer here's the killer could be asymptomatic do you understand star <laughs> I know she's got it because she's not showing me any fucking signs. <laughs> Holy and shit. So I'm laughing and then click. He just hangs up. That's all. <laughs> I'm wide awake laughing my ass off for no reason. And he's going to bed. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he was notorious for that. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, we, had, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of. That's the greatest thing about. 
It's the reason I got into stand-up. I always knew I'd be in show business. Mm-hmm. I did not get into comedy to do stand-up specifically or to be an actor specifically. I got into it because of a moment I saw of the Rat Pack where on, uh, Frank walked down front to sing a, a, a nice ballad mm-hmm. and Sammy and Dean were up at the piano. And Dean leaned over and whispered something in Sammy's ear as he was lighting a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And then Sammy just kind of stopped and doubled over with laughter, but not out loud, not to disrupt Frank. Frank's singing right. a ballad. And he just gave Dean this look, and Dean gave him, you know, there was a moment there. Yeah. Now, Frank is Frank, Sinatra, Sinatra. Sure. But I wanted to know, what did Dean say? <laughs> yeah. That is what I got into show business for the being in the wings and the dressing room and backstage, the green room, to be on the set between the takes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I love. That I love that. I love that. You know, when it doesn't, when it's for us, when it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like this podcast so <laughs> it, where you just do it because it's for us. It's us to have a good time. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and you could say what you want and, you know, yeah, but exactly. Also to make your idols or your friends laugh. If you yes. make somebody laugh, I mean, come on, my friend, Jen Cobra. Great oh, comic. She's great. Great comic. She's doing something, some television thing right now. She, she's, mm-hmm. she's being a little uh, vague about what, what it is, I think, specifically. But she's shooting a big thing. And today she she posted that she made Lainey Kazan laugh today. Wow. Lainey Kazan. And Connie Stevens was there. <sighs> I mean, you're talking, this is show business. Yeah. that's that. Those are the reasons that I'm in it it's for those things for the time i you know i have a memory of jerry lewis i flung a handful of pigs in a blanket at jerry lewis <laughs> holy shit who, who, who has that memory right <laughs> so that's you know i made jerry laugh i made max alexander laugh was my mm-hmm. you know my another big brother of mine that we lost but yes. making when i made max laugh like to his core what could be better than that? That's getting your master's degree, your black belt. Oh, that's a great picture of Max yes. and Jerry. That picture was taken with the camera resting on my shoulder. Wow. Oh. So I was, that's I was, there were three of us were there. That was the day I met Jerry, actually. That, that was, was at the uh, Friars Club. Friars Club, right after he had turned 85. Mm-hmm. And he came to New York. And that's how we got our nicknames, actually, the three of us. I became uh, fennel. fennel. Max became cabbage. And mm-hmm. Jerry was Flavin. Which everybody thinks is a word that Jerry made up. Flavin is not a word he made up. He didn't? It's an no, it's an Irish brand of oatmeal. Get the fuck out of here. I didn't know that. You could look it up right now, man. You'll I find w- a whole a can, a nice tin can I of Flavin. F L A F L A H A V A. Flavin almost. Fucking shit. Yeah, that's where Jerry got the word Flavin. It's from that. Wow. Yeah. All right. So that yeah, and we became I became fennel because Jerry opened the menu mm-hmm. with a big big card menu at the Friars Club. And right. he's looking at it, he's reading, we're all looking at the menus, and it was Jerry, Max, me. Mm-hmm. And uh Jerry's looking at the menu and he goes, What's what's uh what's fennel? And Max said, "It's a it's a plant. It's a plant. Was it an herb? No, it's not a herb. It's a vegetable. It's like looks like a like a celery root, and it's got green fronds on it. And it's, you eat it. Yeah. He goes, it's, it's, it says uh, it's in the salad. He goes, yeah, yeah. Some people put 
you know, fennel in the salad. And and Jerry looks at me, he goes, have you ever had fennel? And I said, sure, I've, I've had fennel. Oh. And then really loud, without changing his face, he screams, what kind of a cocksucker names a vegetable fennel? <laughs> screams it. <laughs> so the whole dining room at the Friars Club looks at the table. And everybody else was used to that except me. This was the day I met him. Right. So everybody's looking at the menus, and I'm the only idiot like this. <laughs> so they think I yelled it. Oh, my God. So then we just, he kept referring me as Fennel after that. That's great. And he told me at one point, he goes, Fennel, that's your name now. That's it. You're Fennel. You're Fennel. <laughs> and then the cabbage thing was, Max became cabbage because Max and I had a conversation that he was telling Jerry about that mm -hmm. we were wondering if there was a one word joke. Could there be one? Is there one word that if you say it, it's funny, period? Right. But so we went through thousands of words over mm -hmm. months, me and Max. And finally, one day, Max called me, he goes, cabbage and i just laughed <laughs> and he goes that's it it's cabbage cabbage is the word so right. then he tells jerry the conversation and and jerry goes so what's the word and max goes cabbage and the way he said it and jl went yeah it's cabbage just the same way i said it <laughs> so max became that and then flavin was already because you know yeah jerry and he was oh, there it is my and God. he told me he goes i didn't make up that word you know wow. and i said you did i thought flavin was your word he goes no it's an oatmeal and oh I, I had no God. idea. Wow. So then when we spoke in the future after that, we referred to each other as fennel, cabbage, right. and flavin. Yeah. Did he did he ever tell you about because this is something that I always wanted to know if it was planned or not? And I feel like you would know for sure. The was he genuinely surprised when Frank brought Dean out? Yes. He was. Yeah, he did well, that's what me and Max knew was that he wow. was not he did not know that Frank kept that so secret. Not even anybody in the MDA knew about it oh nobody wow. frank called the head of the of the broadcast out of new york i think first right and told him tell every network because it, it was it was it wasn't like now where everybody was getting the same feed at the same exact time right but he said make sure that every major hub is live in vegas at whatever it was 8 15 i'm talking wow. everybody has to be live Mm -hmm. And it's Sinatra telling you that. Yeah. So it's going to be live. So everybody, he called every affiliate. Every affiliate was live. They right. snuck Dean. It was Frank walked in with like five guys out of the limo. Dean had a hat pulled down. He had the his thing up on his collar up on the jacket. Nobody knew he was there. Wow. Snuck him all the way to the wing. No one knew until Frank started to say, I got a friend here who believes in what you do. He just wanted to say hi. Will you send out my friend, please? When he said, I have a friend here, that's when he took off the hat and the jacket. The people in the wings like, oh, my God, it's Dean. And oh, nobody yeah. knew. Nobody knew except Frank wow. and Dean. That was it. Frank, Dean, and the other guys in the car. That was it. That's wow. crazy. That's yeah. awesome. So Jerry, I always Jerry wondered. had no idea. Because I know he, he liked to be in control of everything. So I was I was always curious of, like, you know, how. That's, that's why. And he said it in interviews. The thought that when people asked him, what were you thinking when you saw Dean? And he always said it was, the thought that went through his head was, "That's this is the bravest thing I've ever seen a comedian, an entertainer do. Wow. Because Dean walked right into the center of Jerry's world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the middle of the telethon. It's, yeah. it's Jerry's world. Jerry is all over this thing. He walked right to the heart of the kingdom, right into the middle of it on live television. 
and wow. didn't know. Uh, Jerry, Jerry could have screamed "fuck you" and walked away. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But people thought there, there's also a, a, a sugar-coated, in a way, mystique that Jerry was very careful about uh, how he was perceived in the breakup afterwards. When he always mm. said, "Dean and I didn't talk from that from the breakup onward," which is not true. They were on stage together two or three times at like somebody's birthday party oh. or or somebody a big event or something, but away from the cameras when it was private. So to wow. the public, they never saw each other. They did see each other two or three times between the breakup no. and the telephone, but he did not know he was going to be there. Wow. No. That's incredible. Um, see, so you're getting I'm, scoop. You're getting scoop. You're getting I know. I love all here. this. This is, I, I'm, I'm dragging it all out of you. This is all coming out because now we're just going down the <laughs> idle train here and I'm going to okay. go you, because we're going to talk about my favorite movie first and then we'll get into the other ones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's about it's still about me. Uh, Tin, t I love Tintin. The fact that you're in a Tintin movie because Tintin was something I used to watch when I was a kid. Yeah, um, my mom loved Tintin. My mom had the comic books, and then I remember the cartoons and everything. And then you told me uh, that you were going to be in the movie, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. We had no, we we, were, we weren't talking every day like we are now, basically. But I was still you. I was still dragging advice out of you. You know, even back then, yeah. he told me you were going to be in the Tintin movie. I was like overjoyed. I. That I to this day I love that role I love that character uh, I think we have a picture of we still have a picture of Barnaby right coming up Barnaby you should Barnaby, I know I um, think I sent it to you from the movie uh, and Jamie Bell another great uh, actor that was but that was some tell, cast that was some cast tell me because I don't think I've talked to you a little bit about it but what was the audition did you auditioned for it right you did audition yes. for it yep what was the did you audition for Spielberg no. No, I auditioned at my agent's office. We recorded it and mm -hmm. and sent it. And that was still, that was, yeah, that was uh, yes. one of the. Look at, that is yeah. incredible. Yeah, that was, that was, a, yeah, it was Jamie you Bell. You were in a and, suit, right? The, like almost like what the Hulk, like Ruffalo looks yes. like in the. Hulk. Yeah, a, the performance capture suit. Yeah, Perform back oh, then. Right, yeah. Which has changed a lot. Uh, it's gotten much easier to work in performance capture. But when we did it, we were. Uh, right about Avatar, like right about that time okay. when James Cameron was pushing the technology, he invented it even so much further. And it was so different to work in that kind of technology because you're wearing the lining, the inside lining of a wetsuit right, is right. basically what those black suits are made out of. It's right. not the rubber outside part. It's that insular part. And so let me tell you something. This body in a skin tight black. <laughs> let me tell you. Oh man. Oh yeah. There was, there's, there, there's one picture, and I I think you have it because I haven't I haven't seen it since. Maybe you showed it to me when we were hanging out. There is a picture of you in it, right? And on skate, are you on skates? No. What are you no. on? You're you're maybe doing. Maybe some... was. No, 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 no. You're doing something, or you had to do. It was something very physical. I swear to God, it maybe wasn't skates, but it was some like you had to be moved or, or whatever it was. You had a helmet on. Oh yeah, we all had the we all had the suit and, with markers on it, and then a and helmet then with running? an with an arm, and then the camera was here with six lights. In okay, because it. it was a very physical scene, whatever it was. But I can't find. I tried to find that photo. Oh. I can't find. There's another one I can't find anywhere. Well, it you must have been. Have it. it must have been when I got shot in, in the scene where oh, I got shot and fall down. That was probably what it was. When you fall down. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was, I got stunt pay for that. 
Um, oh wow! Really? You know, hey, you know, if an obese guy falling down, there's going to be hurt. You know, gonna be... <laughs> <laughs> so that oh, was yeah. God. No, I I auditioned for that in the agent. They sent it, and uh, I was fortunate and en enough. And then I, mm -hmm. you know, the whole that was real. That that was a level of show business I was not. I had never experienced before. It was right. the limo picked me up, took me to the airport. Then it was the private lounge. Then it was first class on the plane. Then it was, wow. And then I show up at the airport and there's a guy and he takes me in the car and the nice car to the hotel, which is one of my favorite hotels in the world. And then I check in and they hand me keys to a rental car that's already been signed for me. It's outside if you need it. And the guy who drove me in the limo, he was on call 24 hours a day if I needed him and I didn't want to drive. He could come and get me and take me where I got to drive. Wow. It was yeah. like, wow. And then I went to the set. And I met uh, the first AD, Adam, Adam, uh, oh, I'm going to forget his name. Shit. Adam was the, the first the assistant director. And he goes, have you met Steven yet? And I always talk to people the way I'm introduced to them. So okay. have you met Steven? I said, no. So he takes me over to Video Village, what they call, where the monitors are. Right. And he's in the middle of a conversation, but there's nobody there. And I didn't know he was talking to a monitor because it was, Peter Jackson was in New Zealand. So they were talking to each other. Wow. Because St Stephen directed the original, uh, uh, the uh, Adventures of Tintin, Secret of the Unicorn. Peter Jackson mm -hmm. was a producer. The sequel, they were going to switch jobs. Peter's going to mm -hmm. direct it and Stephen's going to produce it. So they're talking about something. And I come over and Adam says, Stephen, this is Joe Starr. He's playing Barnaby. Right. And he says, oh, and he grabs, he didn't even say hi to me. He grabs my hand and pulls me to him. He goes, come here. And he introduces me immediately to Peter Jackson. Oh my and, God. And he says, Peter, this is Joe Starr. This is who's going to play Barnaby. And he said, Oh, right. Great to meet you. And sticks his hand out, like virtually to shake my hand. <laughs> I said, So nice to meet you, Peter. And uh, Stephen said, I'll be with you in a minute. So he, they finished talking. And then mm -hmm. Stephen comes over. For, first question out of his mouth I swear to God, are you Mike Starr's brother? I swear to God. <laughs> I swear that's what he said. Wow. There he is. That's Mike. <laughs> oh I my God. I swear that's what he said. Just that's like Klein always said. funny. So I said, no, and I hope that's not why I got the part. I, I hope. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, no. We love what you did. I'm just curious because of the name. We started oh. talking, and uh, and then I met immediately. I had just met Peter Jackson, and then I met Daniel Craig and Jamie Bell within a minute of each other. So wow. I, meet, I, I meet Billy Elliot and James Bond, you know, <laughs> after I just met, you know, the Lord of the Rings. I just met him. Right. And it was like my head is like swimming. I'm like, wow, this is. Wow, and I'm and I'm standing next to Spielberg, right? Like wow. this is like a lot. Yeah. And then we we did the movie and we shot it quick. It was anybody who's listening to this, any actor who works in performance capture, if you haven't before, there is so little downtime. It is you got to be on your game, man. Because wow. we went from the library to the middle of the ocean in twenty minutes. Holy shit. They just had to sweep away all the stuff and brought in the other props. And they're not full props. Like a table is an outline of metal. Mm -hmm. It just with markers on it so that the cameras pick it up so that the digital graphics could be laid over it later. It's not a full wow. table. Wow. So when they left the library, they wheeled out the two or three frames of bookcases, wheeled them out, and then wheeled in the frame of the boat, and we were in the ocean. Wow. wow. Yeah, it was incredible how fast you have to work. You have and to work really, really fast. You met Andy Circus on that set too, right? Oh yeah, and Andy Circus and Andy. Yeah, Serkis. you guys became yeah. buddies. Andy was Andy was he, I I became 
he became a buddy of mine. I did not become a buddy of his. Oh, <laughs> because I knew who he was. Right. And I was hovering to watch him work. Wow. I was, there were two days I wasn't even shooting and I was there just because I wanted to watch him work. Yeah. Because he is now it's becoming more popular, especially with video games use yes. a lot of performance capture, but now it's becoming more and more popular at that point. He was really Chaplin. He was Keaton. He was the beginning. He was the first guy to master this technique. Wow. The yeah. first guy. He yeah. was it. You Gollum. Know? And Gollum, King Kong. King Kong, yeah. And yeah. Um, Caesar. Caesar. Planet of the Apes. That was Sno the yeah. And then and then Snoke. I mean, you can't. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he was Snoke in Star I Wars. I forgot he was Snoke. Yeah. So he really became the king of of this whole thing yeah he, he was the first guy to master it and, yeah. and he's an absolute sweetheart but i showed up just to watch him work for two days i wasn't even on this i wasn't supposed to be there and i just had to watch him work because he was incredible really yeah. nice guy yeah the whole movie i mean it's it's an incredible movie it's it's like it's a popcorn movie it's a kid popcorn movie yeah it totally of, is yeah, yeah and yeah. it but it's but you know the thing is though because it's spielberg it's epic you know what i mean like even though it's a, it's yeah. it's done in that kind of way which is why mm -hmm. like i loved um ready player one he never done oh, a yeah, thing like too. that before but yeah. that is that is such a spielberg fucking way to do it yeah um, and i think i found the ad good. the uh adam oh. somner Yes, Adam Somner. That's who oh, was nice. the first AD. Thank you. Yeah. He was the one with beautiful English accent. And he introduced me to, to Stephen. And I thought Stephen introducing me to Peter Jackson was going to be the coolest thing I could ever. Like, that was it. Mm -hmm. Then we go to the premiere. And I'm doing the, you're on the line and you got to, you know, you have news outlet after news outlet as you're going down the carpet, working your way to get it. I had never done a premiere before. Right. So I'm walking down. And at one point, after we took this picture, he t turns to me and he goes, Hey, and he sticks, he sticks his arm out and grabs someone. Mm -hmm. And I'm facing this way. And I turn into what he's saying. And he's in the middle of introducing me to George Lucas in the middle of it. Uh, he goes, I turn and he goes, yeah, Barnaby and Joe, this is George. And I go, hello, George. And I, I cause that's how I was introduced to him. So <laughs> I, yeah. And, you know, hello, George. And I met him. And I go, I'm a big, big, big fan. Big fan, <laughs> big fan, and Steve was like, "All right, already," like, <laughs> and we laughed, and that was it. Then we went in and we watched the movie. But yeah, right, and that was the first time working with Spielberg. And then you did Bridge of Spies, and you got yeah. to hang with Tom Hanks. Yeah, which was I, which was nice. Wait, and I'm gonna ask you because I know you've told me this before, but I'm gonna ask you because I want it on. I, I love this story. He gave you. Uh, you guys had a nice moment on set where. Uh, you were talking about the business that I love. Oh um, yeah, do you remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we, we we were we we the only reason we were talking was one in the scene where I was a new one of the news reporters outside the the courtroom, mm -hmm. but at the elevators when we were all huddled around him, I ended up standing right next to him. I was mm -hmm. the right next to him, and he knew Max Alexander. Right, Max Maxie was still alive because Max was with him in Punchline. Yes. And he was in Roxanne with Steve Allen. And I had a picture when Max wrote for the Oscars one year of Steve, Steve Martin and Max and Tom Hanks. So wow. I showed Tom, I went, look, you know, Max says hi. So we started talking because he knew I knew Max. And we're talking and joking around, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, this is so great that you're doing this movie. 
and things like that. You know, this, I mean, still out there working and he had done just, I've never seen Tom in a bad movie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people call him the, the modern Spencer Tracy, you know? So yeah. I said, you're working all the time. It's just incredible. And he goes, well, I'm fortunate to be working as much as I am. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, it never changes. And I said, what do you mean? Never changes. He goes, we're halfway through this film. I'm already worried. What am I doing next? Wow. I go, you got to be kidding me. He goes, it never changes. He said, if I have six movies lined up halfway through the third one, I'm worried about what am I doing after <laughs> I do these other three? It wow, never, yeah. you're, you're always worried about the next gig. It never goes away. Wow. Like, wow. That's a good thing to know. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I, there's a lot of comics talk about this kind of stuff and it's weird because we were just talking about Romano and I remember, did you see the documentary that he did? No. He did one, because I think the, whoever, I can't think of the guy, but there's a guy that was an opener for him um, who just, he was like, we should film this mini tour. Tom Caldebiano? Yes. Ty, was his um, opening, yeah. Okay, so, but they were doing this thing or whatever, and Romano was talking about imposter syndrome. Do you, have you ever, did you, mm. uh, you don't strike me as somebody who would play into that like as a, as a thing but do you have you ever felt like do you ever get absolutely that feeling they're gonna catch me yes yeah they're, they're gonna catch me i'm not i shouldn't be here right oh sure I, almost everybody i know has that or some some inkling of it i've had do moments you think of that. it ever goes away no please <laughs> okay no i saw yeah. actually i saw tom hanks talk about it in an interview with viola davis really yeah he said i i still am not over the point where i'm waiting for someone to just go cut would you please not get rid of him, please? <laughs> you know, enough already. Enough of him. Get it. Get That's rid of him, please. Funny. No, you, they're always you, you, there's this little because you can't believe it. Right. Because if you think about it, when you watch film and TV, like, like Tony Gilroy always said, we, we grew up steeped in narrative. Mm-hmm, yes. We all grew up steeped in television, steeped right. in movies. We're in there, and t- you you have that image through a five and six year old's eyes. Mm. The first time you saw a movie, that's still the feel of a movie. When the lights go down, ooh, you know, oh yeah. yeah. What the, when a TV a new TV show hits, or you find you're binging something, going, this is incredible. You mm. get sucked right into that world. It's so much bigger than life. Then when you're in it, when you're actually on the other side of the camera. I can't, I'm not, I can't, I'm not Olivier. What yeah. am I doing here? Right. Y- you know what I mean? I'm I'm not yeah. Lou Costello. Why, why did I get this? What am I doing? Right. So I think there, there's moments of it. I know it, you're never totally over it. I would not think. Right. But yeah, there's moments of it. I've been, yeah. I mean, I'm standing with Spielberg. Y- yeah. That's, that's what I'm, I was wondering that the whole yeah. experience and then you, the conversation you had with Tom Hanks and stuff, it kind of speaks yeah. to the imposter syndrome thing where you're just like, well, you know, you know what, what? Doing? show business or life always has a way to balance it out. I did Tintin, like I said, the whole high end treatment. I, you know, I meet, you know, Peter Jackson and Circus and, you know, mm-hmm. and Bell and, and Craig and everybody. Okay. Bang. Big movie. Wow. Boom. Finish it. The next week mm-hmm. I was in Des Moines, Iowa, the comedy club <laughs> <laughs> and my room, it was winter time. It was February and mm-hmm. outside my window of my motel room. I was looking at 500 acres of dead corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Full circle. It's funny it how those kind of things. Out. Yeah. It's it's weird though. Like that that little stuff. We we talked to, you mentioned some moments earlier too. I was thinking the same thing where it's like, 
those little things, those little moments, you know, with you and Robert Klein or even with uh, yeah. Alan King or any of that kind of stuff keeps you going, especially when you're younger and you're a young comic doing it. Cause I remember the first time I opened for a national headliner was Jimmy Fallon and did mm. five shows with him. And then I remember after that, and it was great. Every audience member, I mean, they're his audience. Correct. Couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more responsive to jokes. They knew what you were going to see. And I had a right. great, you know, uh, time and then his family was there and they came mm. up and his sister and his mother and they loved me and I, uh, and I remember as soon as it ended <laughs> I was back at the fucking library that I worked in with every yep. old woman hating the <laughs> shit out of me <laughs> <laughs> and asking if I can go to the bathroom uh, you yeah. know <laughs> like, can I leave oh yeah you know oh yeah it does that it life life has to do that yeah it's, no matter how up you are but it's it feels like a bad thing when you're going way up and right. then man it drags you back down but it's a godsend mm -hmm. when you're really in the depths of shit yeah and then something good happens because yeah. you know you always want to be up 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 and life always wants to be level always mm. it wants to balance that the universe wants to be balanced it really right. does it's the yeah. second law of thermo thermodynamics it wants mm -hmm. everything wants to be at even entropy that's what it wants to eventually even out yeah. And so no matter how great it is or how bad it is, you, something's going to happen the other way. <laughs> so, so, so what you're saying is, is you're a, you're a fan yeah, right. Of, you're a fan of Thanos. Uh, <laughs> and then the you, you took a toy. If I could snap, <laughs> if I could snap my fingers and have half the fucking comedians disappear, let me tell you something. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm snapping. I'm snapping. Like I'm in a, a, an old commercial. Oh yeah. Hey. I'm snapping. I'm there snapping. goes all of the uh, drinks, jokes, yeah. and storytelling crew. You see what I'm saying, Tom? Sure. <laughs> so and I wouldn't Frank even... Mignola, you old fuck. Uh, I'm just kidding. I and I would, I would have made sure too. I wouldn't just. I would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have made sure. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking great. Oh man. So let's get. I'm gonna keep this train going too because uh, you worked with another guy. Here's a guy that I feel like polar opposite of Spielberg, Oliver Stone. You got to work with. He seems, yeah. um, I mean, he's a genius, but every time I see him speak versus when I see Spielberg speak, Spielberg has a kind of joy to him, you know, mm -hmm. when he's in interviews, stuff like that. I never, I never quite understand Oliver because I feel like he knows where bodies are buried and he's not telling you. He knows if aliens are like, like he, I always feel like that guy knows, he, that guy knows and has seen some shit. And he's ready to fucking snap or say it at any moment. That's just the impression I get. When I you, could be wrong. The difference between the two of them in the the brief time that I spent with both of them was mm -hmm. if if you an analogy would be like Stephen is like a kid who can't wait to show you his toy box. He can't uh, wait. But when you meet Mr. Stone, he's just always closing a door. <laughs> oh hi. <laughs> That's, that's what it's so like. Great. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I imagined it. That was yeah, perfect. Yeah. And he's <laughs> I no. <laughs> but <laughs> it's true. But he like he like I said, I I, I will take people as I'm introduced to them. Mm -hmm. I always call him Mr. Stone. I never uh, call him Oliver. Never because I was introduced. This is Mr. Stone. So I right. that's how I call I called him Mr. Stone. But he was Stephen was very generous 
in like working with the performance capture, he got mm -hmm. to be on the set, not directing from way over there. He was actually standing when we did the when I got shot, mm -hmm. you know, in the movie and yeah. I hit the ground. That camera was not a zoom. He had the camera in my face. He was 10 inches in front of my face. Wow. You know, directing me from 10 inches. I'm looking at, at it. That was tremendous pressure. Mm -hmm. um, but with Mr. Stone, it was a different thing. He was the greatest. It was one of the greatest experiences I'm probably ever going to have in show business with how generous he was. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you a story about how stupid I was. So it was my first movie. It was the first mm -hmm. movie I've auditioned for. And I go in and I'm fortunate to get it. Uh, the audition was an odd little process, but I got the, the role and mm -hmm. we're shooting. Now, of course, it's supposed to be the morning of of 9-11, which was a beautiful day that day. The weather was beautiful that morning. Mm -hmm. We're shooting on a subway platform in Brooklyn and it's freezing. We, I had to be on the set at 5 a.m. because the shot, he wanted the shot just as the sun was coming up really early morning. Right. So I get there and it's like 30 degrees. Now in the rehearsal and in the uh, audition, I had a Yankees windbreaker on. Mm -hmm. And he liked it. He said, you know what? Wear, the, wear that. Okay. Because I my lines, I'm talking about Derek Jeter from right. the Yankee game. So it made sense. Yeah. I show up five in the morning. Uh, it's 30 degrees. It's windy. With the wind chills, it's probably 20 degrees. Mm -hmm. And all I'm wearing is jeans, sneakers, and this stupid windbreaker. <laughs> I got no coat, no jacket, no glove, no nothing. Because I'm a wow. moron. I don't know better. Right. So I'm in my, my trailer waiting and they come get me about 15 minutes later, 5.15. They walk me up and there he is in this head. And he's very tall. He's a like 6'2". Very tall, wow. big, huge hood, fur-lined, long cart poke, uh, Parker down to his ankle, down to the, the floor, mm -hmm. sitting in his chair. And everybody else on the crew has these big jackets, wintered things. <laughs> everybody is smart enough to bring shit. And I'm standing there basically facing hypothermia. Right. <laughs> And he said, "Oh, Joe, how are you?" We we talked to each other. He said, "I'm waiting for the light to the sun to come up." And he starts giving me a crash course in lighting. <laughs> it's very generous. See, I want the light to come up this because I want the camera from this angle. I don't want it to shine into the lens, but I want it to bounce off that. See that building? I want it to bounce off that building, and she'll give us a nice, nice glow from where the train is going to come. Wow. I said, "Wow, that's interesting." And then it'll light onto here. And he's telling me all. And then he's talking about mm -hmm. the lenses he uses. He's being very generous to me. Yeah, and then after about ten minutes of talking, he goes, um, "Do you want your coat?" Thinking I left it in the trailer, not knowing I was too fucking dumb to bring one. <laughs> so I got an outplay that I'm not stupid, and right. I go, no, no, I'm fine. Cold doesn't bother me any. My lips are blue, you know. <laughs> and I go, fine, it doesn't. No, no, Mister Stone, no, it's fine. I'm perfect. He right. starts talking more about the camera, about the angle, but and then he goes, "Do do you want?" a coat. He didn't say your coat. Now he said, do you want a coat? And I said, no, Mr. Stone, I am fine. Mm -hmm. He looks me up and down and he goes, come here. And I lean in. I go, yeah. He goes, you're an actor in a major motion picture uh, being directed by Oliver Stone. If you want a coat, they will get you a coat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, Maybe I'd like a coat. Mr. Star would like a coat. <laughs> in four minutes, I was in a parker with the big hood down to the ground. He goes, 
How about hot chocolate? I would love a hot chocolate. Mrs. Starr would like a hot chocolate. <laughs> they run. I'm holding a thermos of hot chocolate. A thermos. Wow. Oh, yeah. I got little little hand warmers in my hands and everything. And <laughs> he was so sweet. He went so out of his way. And then we got on the train and we shot that a couple of times. And then me and Jay Hernandez, who's now, you know, Magnum PI. Yeah. Um, we're in there uh, in that subway. Great. He had his own train. Uh, two, it was he had a two or three car train that was his made up to look like the number two I think, and we shot it a couple of times. Then we shoot it, and then we had to back the tra train all the way back up, and then shoot it again, and then we move it back. But he did something that was sweet. This is also a great lesson for any actors that are listening, because this was my first movie. Right before we're ready to shoot, so the sun's getting in the right spot, the camera's set, all the extras are there, train's going to pull in. We're getting ready. We got about ten minutes. And then he says, come on, we got to take the walk. And I go, what walk? And he goes, the actors walk. I go, okay, I've never heard that expression in my life. Mm -hmm. So I get next to him and we start walking down the platform away from everybody. It's just me and Oliver Stone. Right. One, two coats. One is very tall. One is very short. Two coats are floating down because we're wearing the big Parkers. Mm -hmm. And he says, tell me about this guy. So what guy? The character you're playing. Oh, uh, he goes, why is he on this train? He's, he's going into the city. He's going to go see some friends at a bar uh, early and then uh, hang out a little bit and then catch the Yankee game later on tonight, the second game, because they played last night, played tonight. And he said, but well, why isn't he at work? So he hurt his back. Oh, he did. Yeah, he hurt his back. He's out for a couple of years now, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't look like he's ever going to come back. He's probably going to retire on comp. He goes, oh, he's one of those guys. Yeah, he's one of those guys. <laughs> and, 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 I'm, and, I, and I had to say, it's two lines. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter? And he knew I wasn't asking to be an asshole. Right. He already taught me about lighting and lenses. <laughs> and I said, why, why, do, why do we need right. to know it? And he said, because the way you choose to play him is going to tell me how we find him. Oh, wow. He said, does he step into the frame? Do I float the camera through the crowd and then find him? Is he already reading the paper over Jay's left shoulder or his right shoulder? Why doesn't he have his own newspaper? Why has he got to wow. read over him? And I was like, like all of these things I would never think of, of course, I'm not the director. Right. But he said, are you sitting? Do we find you sitting? Are you standing? Is Jay sitting? The way you play this character is telling me how I have to shoot the scene because I have wow. to find that guy. Wow. wow. I mean, it just blew my mind. Yeah. And he said, okay, now I know enough. We walked back and then we shot it. And he was right. He had the camera float through the crowd. And one guy moved past him, and I, and Jay, I'm leaning on the pole, and Jay's already reading the paper, and I'm reading yeah. the paper over his shoulder. And then I say, wow. you know, did you see the game last night? I think that was the line. Did you see that kid Jeter's homer mm -hmm. last night? Kid's got some arm, you know, things like that. And that was it. It was just, but it's the first talking lines in the movie. Yeah. It's a, that, the movie opens that way. But he was such a sweetheart. And then at the end, I'm a nobody actor. First movie, he's been so kind to me. And then he... He hugs me, he goes out of his way to find me because I'm done. And he gives me a hug and he says, I'm taking this as, as, as your audition for anything in the future. Oh, wow. And I go, thank oh, you, shit. Mr. Stone. That's really, he was so sweet to me. And I know a lot of political things he said and a lot of things he said socially that some people have a hard time with and stuff. Mm -hmm. I always come back to this is one of the sweetest guys yeah. to me mm -hmm. in that moment, the way he went out of his way to be nice to a nobody brand new comic you know a brand new actor on his first film yeah 
Yeah, it was really sweet. I, I can't say enough nice things about him. That's beautiful, man. I mean, that yeah. that really is awesome. And and regardless of what you know, <clears throat> what anybody says or what people say, moments in time, it's it's good to have stories like that because people's lives can't be crystallized by one or two quotes or something they said at some point in a moment yeah. of time. It's important to get a whole picture of it. So that mm -hmm. I'm glad you got to tell that story because that's incredible. And it's so yeah, amazing, it's the process, like his whole process yeah. and then how you affected. They say the first two minutes of a movie, uh, they summarize the movie. Like, so you were part right. of like the summary of the movie, which is amazing. Yeah. I feel like it's an amazing process. Yeah. It was very sweet. It was very, I mean, he was, he was great. Steven was great. Peter Jackson was all these people I met were at that level. I mean, they're basically mm -hmm. at the top of the mountain. You know, Scorsese's yeah. the only one that, you know, there's very few people that high as a director. Right. Now there's more, but. That you I mean, have left my, to work with. Now you, yeah, you got to get Scorsese. In my lifetime, in my lifetime, you know, like yeah. that's, those are the guys. That's the top, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, and I, I had a great audition for Brian De Palma. De Palma was the same. He was so sweet. Another wow. big, big man. He's also a very big man. But he was so sweet. He just, did you, you want to improvise? I had like two lines in this little, it was the, <laughs> uh, the movie they made about um, De Niro played the, the, Irish the football man? coach. No, oh, the football no. coach. No, no, no. Bad oh, football um, coach. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name because that was the name of the movie. Yeah. Uh, the um, the football coach who was fired. And, oh, man. Well, De Palma shot that. He he directed that. Yeah. And I played the, the owner of a restaurant that the guy liked to go to. Paterno. Oh, right? yeah. Paterno. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Penn State. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, played Vince Lombardi, yeah. Right. And I was going to be this waiter, uh, the owner of a restaurant. And it was two or three lines, but it would have been with De Niro. Wow. So it was important. He goes, do you improvise? Because De Niro likes to improvise. Not as much as Pacino, but De Niro does like to improvise. So I said, sure. So we started fooling around. And this three lines talked in, turned into 45 minutes of, a, of you know an audition, which I didn't get. But it wow. was just, he just kept flinging stuff at me to see how far I'd go if I could, no matter yeah. what it was, you know, ser ser serve me a duck like it's on fire. No problem. And I would do this. <laughs> he just kept pushing. I think he was just having a good time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. He was also very sweet. So I'd, I haven't met anybody on that level. You know, Andy Serkis, one of the sweetest men, Daniel Craig, uh, too funny. Mm. He walked, he would talk about the body suits that we wore in Tintin. Yeah. Yeah. His first, scene that he shot was actually the market scene at the beginning of the movie that we shot together. It's me oh, okay. him and Jamie. Well, three yeah. of us were in that scene. He walked onto the stage, the, the sound stage, and nobody knew he was there yet. And we weren't shooting. It's all quiet. And he just yells, <laughs> I had a career. <laughs> I am James Bloody Bond. <laughs> and everybody looks and he felt so silly. You couldn't help but feel silly in these suits. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. skin tight. There's no secrets. That's and uh <laughs> yeah. no secrets. No, everybody knew I had five testicles. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody knew it. Only named three. Uh that's all. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's weird when you hear these guys like De Niro like to improvise and stuff like that too. Because when you think of improv improvisation, you think of Judd Apatow film. You think of comedians kind of well, busting balls, shooting the shit or whatever. And then I'll hear stuff like you just said. I didn't know De Niro liked to improvise, but also they say Robert Downey is one of like the best improvisers. 
to work with on any because he knows his character back and front and he's like we're just gonna yeah. i'm just gonna say whatever the fuck i want at this point downey is a magical person who 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 i'm so glad his life that he came out of what he did yeah when he was younger because i met him briefly i mean met him mm -hmm. i shook his hand briefly mm -hmm. on the, the paramount lot when i had an audition and oh. he I, and he was in shorts and his glasses and he just was it was pre-avengers mm -hmm. oh. and he was we were, and i said mr downey mm -hmm. and he stops he goes yeah and i was dressed very nice for this audition he probably thought i worked for the studio initially <laughs> you know i probably looked like yeah. an agent or something right and i said mr downey he says yeah and i said thank you for the job you did in chaplain oh that was you did a you were perfect in chaplain and he ran over and shook my hand thank you so much that means so much wow. you really liked it i go i loved it my grandfather was in vaudeville and i said i i love oh my god really you you work here and i go and i held up my sides i went i'm an actor i'm going to an audition oh my god what are you going in for and so i tell him <laughs> the thing i'm going in for and he's like well good luck man i hope you get it you gotta get it and he's like got my shoulders you gotta get it and I, go, I go thank you so much it means a lot and then Boom, and he went one way, and I went the other way. For that brief second, I'm while I was looking at him, I'm like, I'm so glad his life that he turned it around because yeah, he really by now could have been forgotten, totally forgotten, right? You know, it could have went south, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. You know, all he would have been was the the brat pack, right? He wouldn't exactly. have, he wouldn't yeah. have been thought been of anything after that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this could have been the guy from that uh, back to school, right? He was in back to school with Dangerfield. And that was it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He was. Yeah. 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 Which is crazy to me that he, I mean, that his career is so wild because he was one of the guys who worked in every 80s movie. He was part of that crew, mm -hmm. did stuff with Dangerfield, was on fucking SNL for no reason. As yeah, far yeah. as I, I think it was what Dick Ebersol was the one who was running it at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then. And that, which, by the way, they always consider like the forgotten years because Eddie Murphy was the only one who was actually pulling the, yeah, uh, Eddie and uh, well, Eddie people. was a machine at that point. Yeah, you know, Eddie was a machine. He had become an industry of himself, right? You know, at that time. Yeah, and then that's that's fucking incredible. So then, uh, again, so you got Oliver Stone, you got Spielberg, and then you started doing what? What was the you, you wanted to do? I know you like movies, but you also like crush it on TV stuff uh, consistently. And then you and I know we said I said we we're going to talk about this because yeah. you tell me all the time you you don't care for stand up, and it drives me crazy <laughs> because you're so fun. He Tom I, Tom, I don't know if he, we're going to go see him at some point. He oh, crushes. I mean, yeah. there's no fuck. I'm getting mad now because I, it's effortless. No, okay, wait, and he. Wait. All right, all right. Go ahead. Wait, it's not. It's not effortless. Okay, it, okay. Ta it takes effort. Sure, it always takes effort. But now, now John's like one of those guys that says you uh, only work one hour a night. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> only works one hour no, a night. And he exactly. I mean, it just, <laughs> he just exude like it's so. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's it I was. Tries everybody has a talent. Right. Everybody has a talent. Mm -hmm. a long time ago, I realized I was, I have a talent, a knack mm -hmm. for performing standup. I have a knack yes. for that. I don't really have to worry about it. If I work out a bit, like this new piece I'm working on, it'll probably be the first time I do it on stage. It's probably going to be 15, 18 minutes long. Wow. When I finish it, by the time it's all done, maybe 12 solid minutes, 11 minutes mm -hmm. that writing a big bit like that. I write it in a couple of small chunks. I got it in my head. I get up and I do it. I have a knack mm -hmm. for it. But the road part of stand-up, mm. 
the grind of the clubs and the travel. That's the, I don't, and there's not enough backstage. I told you, I got in the business to be backstage yes. and in the green room. And when you're on the road, it is a crapshoot on who the other two comics are for the week. Yeah. And if they're not old school and there ain't many of us left, mm -hmm. the odds are I'm going to be in the hotel room the whole week right. with nothing to do because I'm not going to hang out with, you know, some new guy or new girl, you know, new woman who think they have two hours of stand-up after six months of doing stand-up. Right. And I don't want to work with a, a middle who's constantly harping on, he closes everywhere else and he's doing this as a favor. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, right. But that's why, you know, the only challenge is, it, it's myself. It's not a personal thing. I was never after a late night spot. It's going to mm -hmm. be, very, I, I've never done the Tonight Show. I never did Letterman. It'd be very tough for me to do six minutes. It mm. takes me 12 minutes to say hello to an audience. <laughs> so I do not work short. I work right. longer. Mm -hmm. And just that's just the mechanics of the way that I work. Right. Maybe uh, one day I will have a nice late night spot, but it'd be one or two of them. And that would, that's not me. That's not right. what I do. So if you're on the road with me and you're not old school, right? You know, it, it just, this is why I tell, I remember I was in uh, Cincinnati working with this comic. This middle act. And I know this happens. You know it happens. Mm -hmm. When a, a headliner for the week will go over to the middle and go, hey, come here, man. And usually it's good. The conversation is going to be, you do anything about uh, you know, being in a yeah. hospital? Because don't do it because I got a big bit about that. Mm -hmm. And my attitude's always been, if you're the closer, you should change your shit. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's working with everything he's got. Yeah, so that's where I got I it was from in you. Cincinnati. I was in Cincinnati and I said, Come here for me, right to the middle. We were starting the show, and I called mm -hmm. the middle act over, and I could see it in his face. He's ready for that conversation. Yeah. I said, Listen, th this was something I want from you, like for the whole week. When you're done, your half hour, I want this audience to think the show is over. <laughs> he goes, What do you mean? I said, I want you to go guns a blazing. I want you to annihilate. I want it mm -hmm. to be impossible to follow you. Do yep. anything you want to make it as hard as you can. For me to follow you and he's like really why i said because the better you are the better i have to be and it makes the whole show better right how could it be bad then then the mc brought him up and then i grabbed the mc come in and i told him the same thing i don't want this kid to be able to follow you for the rest <laughs> of the week i mean everything you've got whip it out yeah and he's like really i go yeah and when you go up for piss time in between him and me you know in between when the feature comes off I said, save your A stuff for right there and hammer just because he's about to kill. Right. And then you kill. I want the show over. I want them to expect the curtain to come down and we're <laughs> finished because then I can actually go to work. Right. That I'll do because that's a personal challenge. But a lot of times it's not that. It's, yep. You know, there's a lot of people trying to make it a comedy who don't know shit about comedy. Right. They just yeah, don't. They don't know anything about funny, you know? Yeah. That's one of the things I loved. You said it during the pandemic or whatever, you were talking about all these people who were just like, oh, you know, I haven't been on stuff. I don't know. It's going to go away. And you were like, it's because it, you said uh, talent doesn't rust. So it if doesn't. you got it, you don't have to worry about it. Great statement. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's true. It's absolutely 100 percent. I think I think the the, the pandemic proved or is bringing out one salient point. Another big word <laughs> is that. Stand the world of stand up 
was full of actors and we didn't mm. know it. A great yes. many comedians were acting as comedians. They weren't mm. in their bones. Like Jerry, you said, they weren't funny in their bones. Right. They were funny in their muscles. They had muscle memory, yeah. but not in their bones. It wasn't their so their center where being funny is not something they're trying to do all the time. Yeah. It's what they are. That's all. And so I think that brought it out. And I also think it, that the pandemic shook loose a lot of people. I think the world economy is going to be much smaller when, when it gets rolling again. A yes. lot of clubs closed, so that's kind of good. But yeah. they'll open back up. No ones will open up. It, it's happened before. There's a purge yeah. every couple of years. Yeah. It's like in The Godfather. You know, these things got to happen every 10, 20 years. <laughs> Get rid of the bad blood. It's the Absolutely. same thing. The same thing. <laughs> well, it's like, the, uh, did you, uh, I don't know if you saw the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime that Mike Binder did. I didn't. I did not see it. Not yet. It's really good. But the craziest thing is, is that it goes through, obviously, decades of the Comedy Store. And the best part about that is that in each decade, it's uh, comedy's over. We're done. Oh, it's back again. Uh, comedy never comes. Exactly. Over. Oh, it's back again. Like, it was of just, course. Yeah. No matter what it was. Comedy's always going. Comedy needs to exist mm. because. Remember, we were talking about that scale before of how everything wants to be balanced. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, this is going to be a little philosophical here, but but it's true. Let's do it. If the ultimate truth is we're all going to die, mm -hmm. which is the ultimate truth, yep. to balance that out, you need comedy. <laughs> That's yeah. What battles the inevitable other than making fun of it? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why comedy is never going to go away. It'll change. Right. It'll change constantly as it always had. Well, uh, you know, uh, vaudeville, people say like now, that the internet is going to kill stand-up comedy because there's right. so much of it. Why go out and see live stand-up comedy? Okay. Mm -hmm. They said the same exact thing when HBO and Showtime showed up. When mm -hmm. cable TV happened, it's going to kill stand-up comedy. It didn't. Prior to that, network television. When I was a kid, there were weekly nine stand-up shows on television. Nine. Right. Every week. Wow. It's going to kill stand-up. It didn't kill stand-up. <laughs> before that, before that, it was sitcoms. It was all the sitcoms. There were so many sitcoms. It's going to kill live stand-up. It yeah. didn't, didn't, didn't kill stand-up. Right. Before that, it was uh, the movies. Then before that, it was television. Before that, then it was talkies. Before that, it was radio. Before that, it was silent pictures. Before that, it was vaudeville. Because the mm -hmm. comedy before vaudeville was still in print. Mark Twain. Right. Uh, Irving yeah. Cobb. Uh, Stephen uh, St uh, Stephen Leacock from Canada. All these great comedic writers, the Nasby letters, which were written by a guy, uh, Petroleum something was his name, his pen name, Petroleum something, wrote something called the Nasby letters in the 1800s. The last thing, Lincoln held up the four score and seven years ago. Mm -hmm. He held up the speech to read all of his friends the latest Nasby letters that were printed in a newspaper. Wow, so I didn't know that. that. Oh, yeah. So the written comedy was going to be killed by live performing comedy in vaudeville. Wow. Every, comedy was going to die over and over and over and over again. And it's fucking still here mm. because people don't get it. Death is the ultimate truth. The only, only way to fight that is to make fun of it. Right. <laughs> comedy is the only side, the only bomb that we can put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. To kind of protect ourselves from the oncoming. 
<laughs> because death is the ultimate forever. Right. It's kind of it's kind of permanent, ain't it? So it it's is. It's timeless. It, it it is a place where time doesn't exist. So is every time you laugh. Oh, every time you laugh are little bits of where time doesn't exist. Right. It's the other end of death. It's the other end. Cause it's a creative, you keep coming back. Yeah. You laugh, then you stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a defib kit. Hey, absolutely. Absolutely. Clear. Two Jews walk <laughs> into a bar, <laughs> you know, Jews walk into a bar. clear. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Uh, now you I got gotta some, ask, you got some you good stuff out of me tonight. Oh, I know. I'm this is beautiful. Well, now I'm going to ask. I, I told you I was going to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you at the now it's, it's out of order. But your first paid gig, because I ask every comic this. Some people don't remember actually, which blows me away. My first paid gig as a comic was 1991. I still have the pin. It was because I, you know me, I save stuff. Yeah, uh, Miss Cycle Queen. 1991. Wow. Miss Cycle Queen was uh, three strippers would uh, in a contest for this biker gang. Mm -hmm. And they called her Miss Cycle Queen. Wow. And I did a show on a Saturday night at a club, little spot, little showcase thing. Mm -hmm. And the club owner, who was my first manager, who I can't name because he's still alive. And he <laughs> says, what, what are you doing tomorrow? Sunday and I go, mm -hmm. uh, nothing. I'm gonna come here to do the mic night at you know right. at night. He goes, No, tomorrow afternoon, noon, 12 o'clock. I said, No, nothing. You want to come make some money? Come do a gig. Really? He said, Your first gig. Okay, what do I gotta do? You're gonna host is a, a motor a motorcycle enthusiast group. Oh, <laughs> which is a nice way of putting biker gang, right? This motorcycle enthusiast <laughs> group is having like their annual thing. And there's going to be music and it's going to be dancing. And okay. So I show up the next day in my suit. I wore a suit when I started. Wow. I'm in my suit at 12 o'clock. There ain't nobody there but me. Mm -hmm. 1230, nobody. One o'clock, 115, nobody. 130, motorcycles start to pull in. <laughs> it's Sunday. They don't get up early. Right. I yeah. look at these this group of motorcycle enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> With um, you know, Schwarzenegger uh, tattoos. Oh, oh yeah, it's those guys, and they Holy come God. in, and I'm like, "Are you kidding?" They half of them are still drunk from the night before. Like they're, I'm like, "Oh my God!" They come in, they crowd into the little room, the club. I'm at the bar, like, "Oh my God, this is this is wow, this is." But don't worry, what I'm hosting. You're gonna have mm -hmm. three bands. You're gonna have three strippers and two big bands. This is no problem. We're getting ready. He comes over, my manager who owned the club, and he said, hey, so we're going to start in five minutes. Whoa, whoa. I'm the only one. Where's the bands? Where's the girls? Where's yeah. the dancing? Where's the... And he said, oh, this young girl over here introduced me to a girl, a beautiful, beautiful, uh, very light-skinned black girl, very just perfect skin, gorgeous, probably 22, 23 years old. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was 21 at the time, and she, she's the only one who's going to dance. And I said, well, how do you have a contest when there's only one of them? <laughs> I mean, doesn't she have to come in first? Why, why are you going to? So, well, look, she's here and that's it. Okay. And what wow. about the bands? There's two big bands. Okay. Yeah. See this other, another girl comes over. 
thinking it's 1969. She looks just like a hippie mm -hmm. with a tape deck in her hand, tape deck for the little cassette. Her band ain't coming. She's going to play the tape and then sing. No. She's a, she's a folk singer. For the motorcycle enthusiast, she's going to folk sing, and we got one stripper. Okay? Okay. All right. What time are we starting the show? And it's like it's like 1.30, almost 2 o'clock now. Mm -hmm. He said, well, look, we got to give him a two-hour show. Cool. Uh, how many times is she going to dance? <laughs> well, the other girls didn't show. So she's just going to do her big number. Okay, so she's going <laughs> to dance once. How about the girl with the tape recorder? She's going to sing two songs. I said, okay, that's about that's about maybe 14 minutes yeah. out of two hours. What about the other two hours? Well, just you know, go up there and perform. <laughs> I really, I've only been around, I had like nine minutes. <laughs> so I go up and I start the show. I hit the stage. Fuck you. Just as I hit the stage, I didn't even say I didn't even say hello yet. I didn't even say hello. Fuck you. I'm like, oh wow. So I start to try and get into my act. It ain't going. I hit about 15 minutes. I bring on the band, the one mm -hmm. girl with the tape deck. She hits play. The machine eats the tape immediately. <laughs> immediately. Oh, amazing. Because the show is so bad, the tape committed suicide. <laughs> Bang. It dies. She starts to sing anyway. She sings. They're quiet for her. Mm -hmm. She says, thank you. One person claps. She walks off. I go back up there. Fuck you more. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> All right. I try and go into the act. They're hating me. Someone pegs me in the head with a quarter. <laughs> oh, yeah. It Fuck. hit the floor. I picked it. This, uh, this is about 40 minutes now at this point. I've been on stage total. A right. quarter hits me in the head, hits the floor. I pick it up and I go, and I put my other hand in my other pocket. I go, wait, I owe you some change. <laughs> it, it was my first of only two laughs. Wow. Got to laugh. I have to talk for another half hour before I bring up the girl to dance. Oh, my God. She comes up, she dances. Thank God. I got to go mm -hmm. back up and do another 40 minutes. I got to right. get to two hours for these guys. I go up. I beg the girl to come up and sing another song. Mm -hmm. I beg her. She's packing. She can't get, she's crying because the tape is in the machine. She can't get it out. <laughs> I look past her and the stripper, the girl who was the stripper uh -huh. is, cr is crying, but crying. So I thought oh somebody God. did something. Somebody said something to her. Oh, my God. What happened? I, I'm trying to wrap up. I hit almost two hours. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what I said. But at one point, I'm fixing the mic to leave the stage. And I pick up and the cord spun into what looked like a, what looked like a noose. <laughs> and I went, oh, this is perfect, huh? And everybody laughed. <laughs> two laughs. Two laughs in two hours. Oh, wow. I walk off. They all get to the bar. They couldn't wait. They get up. They go to the bar. They're drinking. It's you know mm -hmm. now it's four o'clock. They're drinking. I go in the back and I said, "Why are you crying? Is are you okay?" I was really concerned about her, and she said, "I was crying for you." <laughs> I wow. said, "You got to be what?" She goes, I, "How did you do that? That was <laughs> my God. I couldn't do." That. I go into the office, and I'm mad. I want to yell at somebody. I go into right. the office. Where Mr. Macho has been high, he didn't see the show. Oh, so I not. walk in. He goes, "How did it go? <laughs> How did it go?" <laughs> I had three strippers and two bands 
whittled down to one strip of dancing once and a girl whose tape broke into the and he goes well don't worry about it and he slams money into my hand first paid gig that held $25 oh god and I still have the pin that they gave Miss Cycle Queen 1991 I still have the pin wow yeah that oh, was the first paid god. gig that was the first money I ever got paid for doing comedy that's Which wasn't funny. comedy. It was just avoiding death. That <laughs> <laughs> the other in end the, of the spectrum. In the middle. In the middle. I remember pe- they were they were yelling, we're gonna fuck you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. It was and I there was no getting out of there. Holy shit! It was one of those terrifying. Right. It was horrible. That was my first paid gig. So you asked. Wow. I told you that was that's the that's yeah. the best answer yeah. we ever got. Everyone else's was nothing compared yeah. to that. Yeah, well, it's just it, you know when you're around a long time. Yeah, everything everything bad that can happen has happened to me. I've had sound equipment go on fire on stage. I had a car come through the front wall of a comedy club while I was on stage. Wow! <laughs> I've been hit in the face with a snowball while I was on stage. <laughs> yeah, been hit with a snowball. A yeah, a guy backed into the. It was in a strip mall in Staten Island, and the guy backed his old man backed his car right through the front window of the club. <laughs> yeah. I can't. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, it, it came back, no, this, this was the line. Who ordered a pizza? <laughs> <laughs> that was my line. Yeah, glass. <laughs> there was glass in my hair. Who ordered the pizza? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I can't. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking great. Yeah. Anything that can happen has happened to me. Yeah. Chicken, bo- chicken bones thrown at me. Oh my God, fucking. Yeah, in, in Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, anything that can happen, I've had happen. Blackouts. Oh God! What the only thing that has happened is an earthquake. That hasn't happened. What? Uh, well, I, I don't have any real wood over here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> this desk isn't real, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had what wood. What a bizarre this statement. <laughs> that was. Yeah, a, <laughs> no, but for you, wood. wood. No, this is. I don't know what this is. Um, yeah, no, I got it. That's fucking incredible. What you were I gonna hear, say I've something? Had, no, I was. I was gonna say I've had you had. What was the what was the incident with the line where you said? Because I remember this one. Give me it. You said to the guy, it was a um, he was being an asshole in the audience, and you said, "Just imagine if your mother had." Oh, swallowed. whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, I know what you're, you're talking about. No, it but I know what you're good, talking about. That's a that's great. Not, was that? It's not one of the stories we can't talk about, is it? No, 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 no. That okay. was no, that was just it's just the language is too that's oh right, really, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I won't, but that's a great fucking line. I'll tell it if you want me to, but it yeah, yeah. I'll tell it to, okay. It was in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. I, I blame this whole story on Joe Bronzy. Um <laughs> I haven't talked to Joey in a while. I gotta fix that. I gotta fix that. But this this He's- is a story that happened. Mm-hmm. We're at a club, little club, restaurant that did comedy in a room, you know, one of those mm-hmm. okay. in Staten Island. And it was a rectangular room. So people are sitting about 50 people. For, if you looked right in front of me, the, the entrance to the bar was maybe 15 feet right in front of me. And right. then I got 50 people on my left and 50 people on my right. It's like a long shoe box. Okay. Right. And I'm in the middle. Okay. So I'm, uh, the MC goes up, does something. And then Joey was on stage, bronzy. Mm-hmm. And some big gorilla, a muscle-bound dude, and his girlfriend, just a just a steroid animal. You could see mm-hmm. it. 
he shows up late for the show. The show's already going. He wants to see the show. Mm-hmm. And they put two chairs, not even a table, just two chairs directly in front of the comic, in front of the stage, which is between you and the door. You can't get out. Right. So the guy sits six feet in front of Bronzy and, and with the girl. Joey's performing, and the guy chimes in out of nowhere. You're really not that funny. Joey keeps going. He does the right thing. You First, you ignore it. Mm-hmm. Let the room hate the guy first. This way, you got a group of people on your side. So yeah. Joey handles it, and it goes for like 15 minutes before Joey finally gets off, because I got to get up there. Yeah. So Joey f- finishes. He battles this guy as best he can. He gets off. And the MC's up there bringing me up. Please welcome out to Joe Star. And I found this out later. The owner said to Joey, should we throw that guy out of here? And he goes, no, let's pray he starts with Star. <laughs> 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 because I was, I'm kind of notorious for, I've been heckled I, maybe six times in my whole mm-hmm. stand-up career. Maybe six times wow. in 30-something years. Wow. Because I command the stage. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm up there. Three, four minutes. And I noticed the corner of the room, there's like a curtain at the back of the bar. And I see like four heads, one on top of the other. Bronzy, a waitress, the owner. They're all watching to see if something happens. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm getting there. And all of a sudden he goes, you're not funny. I ignore him. I keep going. Minute later. I said, you're not funny. I ignore him. I keep going. Then he gets loud. Mm -hmm. And he's big. The guy's huge. I fucking said, you're not funny. And I just stop and I go, you know what? And just, I said, you know, just like that. I went, you know what? I hear Bronzy go, oh boy, just like that. <laughs> so I go, you know, when you meet somebody, you could tell a lot about them. And as soon as you meet them, you can uh-huh. understand it. You know them. He goes, yeah. I said, I can see right through you like a pane of glass. I can just, I, not only do I know you, I know your family. Like for instance, your mom, your mother is a, is a saint, isn't she? She's a sweet woman. Your mother is a sweet, sweet woman. And he goes, yeah, how'd you know that? I said, well, because she wouldn't swallow that fucking night. You're my problem? Because she wouldn't take it in the ass. Now, I got to fucking deal with you? Because she wants to be a queen and be fancy and hold the pinky out when she's blowing your old man. Now, I got to fucking deal with you. And as I'm saying it, the crowd who was afraid of this guy already, now they're like, oh, my God, we're going to see this man get killed. Right. Now, I was in a comedy club. I told you it was a little restaurant. Mm-hmm. we're on the second floor of a building the window's right behind me and i'm thinking if he charges me we're both going out this window we're gonna <laughs> die we're gonna die right but i said it so quick the way i just said it and everybody mm-hmm. kind of gasped and some people laughed they couldn't believe what i just said right because, you know me i'm i'm harmless on stage i'm a very yes. affable lou costello guy they mm-hmm. couldn't believe i said it and i said it so quick his response was what <laughs> that was his response. And I said, I'm saying your mother's, your mom is a lady, right? And he goes, yeah. I go, that's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing with you. I'm telling you that I know your mom's a lady. He goes, well, she is. I go, I know that. And he goes, well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Now everybody's laughing. The show ends. I finally get out of this room. Bronzy's oh. crying. We're all laughing. Mm-hmm. And some somebody from the audience comes over. Oh, one of the waiters goes, star, star, that fucking guy's looking for you. I did, this don't look good. He comes running through the room. I'm like, oh, fuck, he figured it out. He, he figured out what I said. <laughs> he's making his, he's shoving people out of the way to get there. It's like a mad gorilla. 
shoves right. people out of the way, gets to me, and he goes, "You," and I'm like, "Oh fuck!" Like this is gonna mm -hmm. be it. And he goes, and I, he goes, "You." I go, "What?" And he's got a tear in his eye. He goes, "What you said about my mom it was <laughs> the sweetest thing I ever heard in my life. That a comedian would take time out to compliment my mother." I'm going to buy you a drink. Let's buy, let's have a drink. And he bought a drink for me and we're drinking and Bronzy's behind me whispering in my ear. I can't believe the guy is this fucking stupid. I can't believe he's this fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. But I blame Bronzy for that. Oh, that's, that's fucking and, hilarious. And now let me bookend it with this. Keith mm -hmm. Alberstadt, Keith Alberstadt, a comedian that I love and respect. The only reason I'm telling you this is because it's comedically very funny. I mm -hmm. told him this whole story and years ago he had a heckler in the room. And the schmuck tried to use that line. No. And it didn't go the way that mine went. Mm -mm. <laughs> no. Keith, you can't do a line like that. You're a nice sweetheart. You're a Boy Scout. You can't get away with that. Schmuck. Oh my God. But that's wow. the problem with that's the problem with dealing with, with hecklers is you if you give them command. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a martial art kind of thing. If if a heckler steps to me in during a show. You're stepping on my mat. This is my dojo. Mm -hmm. Right. You're, you're in my yeah. school. So that's, you know, it's very, you, you have to exude that. One time at a club here on the island, two women almost got in a fist fight. Maybe this is maybe only about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Right in the middle of one of my sets. Because one oh, was shit. ordering loud or laughing, whatever. And the other mm -hmm. one yells at her. And all of a sudden, glasses are fl flinging food. And they almost got in a fist fight. And I sat on the stool. While it's happening, I'm like, <laughs> and everybody else is laughing, and they threw one woman out, and then her friends are yelling, you should have done something. You should have said something. I say, hey, sweetheart, my whole world is up here on this stage. What happens <laughs> out there with you has nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing. And they weren't attacking me. They were attacking each other. It had nothing to yeah. do with me. But I hear a lot of negative comment like uh, horror stories of people dealing with hecklers yeah. and i don't want to say this in a bad i don't mean this as an insult i know there were tough rooms mm -hmm. but i th think the major part of dealing with it falls on the comic not even mm -hmm. the club i i did a club once and i had a drunk girl it was a it was like near christmas right around christmas everybody's drinking a lot maybe it was like a company christmas party they all came to the show and she was so drunk, she walked, just got up and walked on stage where I was. Wow, shit. Now, in that, I knew she wasn't going to be violent. She smashed. Right. But I'm looking around. Where's the doorman? Where's the manager? Where's the Who's going to get this woman off the stage? Right. You know, I was, and she grabs, takes the mic. I, I want to say something. and take. So I give her the mic, and I'm looking out in the room like, are you Who's policing the room? Yeah, yeah. you are. <laughs> right, apparently. And it was an A room. It was an right. A room. I'm shocked. So she finally, now she's babbling. And I go to reach for the mic. And she goes, you're not that funny anyway. I have to talk. And I'm like, oh, now she's, okay. Wow. Yeah. If you're going to be drunk and enter my physical space, that's one thing. But right. when you're going to shit on my talent, that doesn't go well. Right. So I, I said, no, no, sweetheart, that, that's over now. And she goes, I could be funny. And I said, you're too drunk to be funny. And, <laughs> you know, just go sit down. And she goes, I'm pretty. I go, you are very pretty. Unfortunately, that doesn't fix stupid. Would you please sit the <laughs> fuck down? <laughs> and now I insulted her. And then all of a sudden, the manager's in the room. Uh, when I insulted her, because now maybe they're not going to pay the bill. 
Right, the, right. And I was uh, like, wow, what kind of bullshit? I was so mad when that show was over. Yeah. But listen, man, I said, this it's Christmas season. I understand we're going to have some drunks. You should know that. I know that. Mm -hmm. But there was nobody to police the room. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you didn't like the way I handled that, wait till have the next one happens. Because right. I can, as nice as I can be, I can be 180 degrees. I, I could really be a bad guy. <laughs> so yeah, we, don't yeah. want, we don't want me flying off the handle while mm -hmm. I've got a mic in my hand, you know? And right. we, we, me and the manager had a couple of words that we really were, you know, going hot and heavy in the office. I look, I will catch a plane tomorrow. I will leave. I don't yeah, give a shit. Uh, you know, you know what that would do to your career? Yeah. It would cement it that I don't take shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's no winning when it comes to talent. You, I mean, you know, above more than most people, I'm always on the side of talent. Yes. Oh, always absolutely. talented yeah. because we got it and they don't. Right. Well, I That's call, the, I mean, the, uh, like I'm the same. I don't, I don't normally get a lot. I mean, I like, I love a uh, goofing around. I love talking to the audience. I love coming up with material on the spot. I like, it, you know, inter interweaving my own act with whatever happens in the room and it's fine. Very rarely do I get uh, anybody that's like violent or whatever, but, but three, three times, one time I didn't know about it in Phoenix where I should oh. not have been doing any Trump stuff, but I oh, just right. have a death wish and was right. like, eh, fuck it. I'm as, I was at, um, don't name uh, it. Don't say it. Don't say oh, it. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but I'm there. Still, just, I'm giving just, you advice in the middle of your own I fucking know. podcast. <laughs> I know. It's a I'm always thing. looking out for you. I know. <laughs> I've said numerous times we got to call this cast Burning Bridges because John just loves to just <laughs> tear through it. And I'm I like, really, oh, man. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, how many, you know, times can you insult Joey Novick before he gets it? Uh, I'm just kidding. That's not my. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll cut, we'll cut that out. Um, but uh, I, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so um, no, but I, but I do this thing or whatever, and I did my stuff, and I get off, and they won't let me leave the the room, and I was like ready to go. I'm like, talk, I talk to everybody else, and the owner just comes out, and he's like, you can't, you can't go yet, and I was like, why? And he's like, because uh, we got like a bit of a bit of an issue. Just give me a second. And he comes, goes out, and comes back in again. So a couple more minutes, we're gonna have everything take care of it. Then I see cops out, the, like I see the lights. Of the what the fuck? Wow. Is going? I'm like, oh my god, what happened? Somebody get into a fight, and they're like, we're preventing one. Uh, wow. <laughs> was yeah, military dude. Who, but the funniest thing is that he he was so angry with me, he actually left his date at the table. To, and she wow. was just like, "How do I get home?" And I just gave her money for a cab. Wow. <laughs> like I was like, yeah. Um, and then uh, Michigan. Um, the two times that happened, set two two separate years, but uh, did this club, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is, and then uh, you know, the first time it happened, it was again, it was it was Trump stuff or whatever. But Michigan's purple, so normally they're mixed, it's fine or whatever. But they gave out. Um, well, it's people... purple because there are pockets of blue and right. pockets of red. Exactly. You know, so you were in a pocket of red. I was in a pocket of red. <clears throat> and and the funny thing is, is that they had, you know, they do um, every now and again, like somebody gets a dinner package from the last. So, so these people were leftovers from the last comedy show. They just okay. got to come to another one. Yeah. So they got stuck in mine because everybody else in the room was fine. This one table just kept shouting out. It wouldn't stop the whole time. And then finally, I was just like, and I've never had to do it and I've never done it because, you know, me normally I'm like, blah, 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 funny, funny, move on. 
she wouldn't stop. She's belligerently drunk. And finally, I actually stopped. I had like 10 minutes left in my act. And I stopped and I said, until she's removed, I'm not going to continue. And I had to actually get the mat because the management, I could see them in the back of the room. Like, <laughs> I was like, I want to be like, what the fuck are you smiling wow. at? Get her out of my room. And then, but it was nice because the actual owners of the place were super chill and they were really great about it. And they were like, really sorry. And the audience was genuinely embarrassed. And they were like, we hope this doesn't look bad in the town. I'm like, I did four other shows here. This is the only one that had happened. in. <laughs> right, <laughs> I, was like, right, yeah. I was like, but it was nice for the audience to be like, we're so sorry. Like it was mm -hmm. an unusual mm -hmm. thing. Um, and then a second time it happened. But after that, it was just fine. It was just like, they were just a bunch of lunatics chanting USA at me. I had and a military just... guy lose it at me at Pips once. Really? Oh my at God. Pips. Wow. And in Brooklyn. what was scary was, yeah, what was scary was, this is when I learned, I don't talk about, politics religion mm -hmm. or sexuality i i did a, a it turned out being some political type said this is like 1995 there was mm -hmm. nothing heavy going on politically yeah and i mentioned something just about that i wish more people were knowledgeable about uh the way the system of government works that's all right mm -hmm. and that people would you know be you're free to your own opinion but really know what you're talking about that was my, mm -hmm. I was trying to get, I was setting up a bit I was going to do. Sure. And I said it that way. And this guy says, America or nothing. That's what he <laughs> yells. And I go, what? What? And he's right there. You know, Pips is small. I look right down. I go, what? And he said, you know, if you don't like America, I went, oh, wow. Well, he, he was attacking me physically. He goes, right. If you don't, if you don't love America, you know, then get the fuck out and move to Canada and all this shit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'm a Marine. I said, okay. And he was an active Marine. He was in the service. Wow. I'm a Marine. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm just saying that people should have a well-informed idea of why they stand for a certain principle. And he stands up. And he just kept standing up. He was like 6'8". He was just gigantic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on stage. And mm -hmm. we're almost eye to eye. That's how wow. tall the guy is. Wow. And, and he goes, you're not fucking listening to me. I said, no, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Look, let me give you an example. I think people should be informed and, and then follow their feelings. If they're informed, they can't just go flying off with some sort of bullshit ideology. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. You believe in defending the United States of America? Of course I do. You would do anything to defend the Constitution of the United States. Absolutely. You sure? Yeah, the entire Constitution. I would give my life for the Constitution. And I let a long pause go by. And I went, you ever read it? <laughs> and the anger in his face, I realized he's going to choke me to death. Right. Like It was that moment where, when I said, you ever read it? And he realized he'd mm. never read the Constitution. He had no right. fucking idea. He's saying he's there to defend it, but he's never read it. Mm -hmm. He was making yeah. my point for me. Yes. <laughs> and he just sat down and said, we'll talk after the show. <laughs> Wow. And then uh, Billy Norton went up, the magician, and uh, he walked up. You didn't know Billy. Billy Billy had a voice. It was like this. <laughs> and he carried all his tricks, all his magic. He'd wear a tuxedo, and he carried all this in an ash can, you know, in a metal garbage can. Yeah. Yeah. So he had one night, this drunk, the same thing right there that night. This drunk starts with Billy. After the Marine who wants to kill me, this little guy, you're not really funny. You, you suck. I, you're not magic. 
<laughs> and Billy turns his back to go into the ash can to grab his next bunch of trick. Mm-hmm. And the guy gets on the stage. Billy turns around with a fistful of what they call flash paper. Flash paper is covered in white so, uh, sulfate. So when yeah. you throw it in the air, it burns up immediately and it disappears. It's a right. thin piece of paper. And that's how they get a fire, a fireball, right? Mm-hmm. He, but he doesn't grab one or two. He grabs a fistful <laughs> of flash paper, turns around and flings it at the guy. So all the guy <laughs> sees is a fireball wrap around his head. It goes just like, look, look Johnny, it goes like they go just around his head. It goes, and the guy's drunk and he goes, he's shocked. And Billy goes, don't fuck with magic, man. Sit down. <laughs> and the guy sits down and then he looks over. Hey, Marine, that goes for you too. <laughs> just to take the edge off of me. Right. So he laughs. He goes, all right, all right, all right. That's so he great. Took, it took the heat out of the Marine who was going to kill me. I mean, he wow. really was. And he was huge. But mm. Billy didn't have to do that. And that goes for you too, Marine. And he's all right, all right. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Like, he knew he was wrong. The drunk guy was hilarious. That's great. Yeah. The fireball went around his head. There's smoke coming out of his eyebrows. Just for a brief <laughs> moment, there's smoke. And he all he saw was fire. It was so great. That's wow. Great. Yeah. That's but that's why, that's why I don't do political stuff. I don't even yeah. touch it. Don't even There's touch a good- it. Uh, Jessica Curson told me one time, she goes, you know, she goes, uh, she goes, when I do the, when I do red States, she goes, I, I, she goes, I love cock and I eat meat. I don't get, because <laughs> 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 we were talking about doing that shit. Like, wow. I'm out. Yeah. Is, is she an actress? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's fucking hysterical jessica carson mm-hmm. is one of the great joys of of being in the world of stand-up comedy yes that you, that i know her you know we don't see each other we haven't seen each other actually in a couple of years mm. but every time i'm in her presence she and i are giant goofy six-year-olds we can't help it <laughs> and we won't stop we will not stop She's right. just a joy to be around. She's a live wire of creativity and talent, and a and a sweet woman, and just a talented person. Really, really talented. She's one of those rare rare people that are yes. always that way. They are. She is always herself on stage. She's, yes. it's not an act. She's that joyful. She loves weird people. She loves odd situations. She yep. loves charactery kind of people. You know. Yeah. And she's always looking for the oddities in life. Always. She's always looking for the oddity. Yeah, she's you know so what I mean? Nice. Yeah. So funny. If some woman showed her like an engagement ring, she would be, you know, obsessed with the knuckle that's swollen. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, your hand <laughs> looks fucked up. Yeah, but look, it's a seven character. I know, but that looks what is that, arthritis? She <laughs> she will find the other oddity about the situation, you know. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. She's so great. I used to call uh it was always you and her I would call on my stand-up uh anniversary because you'd always looked out for me always mm-hmm. ever since day one well and... you need a lot of help john <laughs> <laughs> i honestly he's right i can't reach stuff on top shelves at all anywhere <laughs> it's just, that's the very beginning of the help i need um uh... and then and uh she was um she always gave me she always let me host the new talent nights on her shows at gotham and when i did a thing for her no, I did a, a me the my friend who just passed away, Erica Watson, um, and uh, 
a couple of us decided to do a thing at Gotham when we had Jess headline. And there was this comic on stage uh, who went up before me that I didn't you know whatever. I don't even think she's doing stand up anymore, but she was like, she, she did a fucking cartwheel and she was doing all this shit. And I was going, she had no jokes, but she was just very like, right. and then, uh, but and Jess saw me and I was just on, I was about to go up next. And in my head, I know I was like, oh, what the fuck is going on? Like, I just mm-hmm. thought I was fucked. And it was only my, mm-hmm. you know, a couple times on stage. And she came up and she just grabbed me by the shoulder. She was like, look, she's got nothing. So you go up there and you ride that energy. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. Like she didn't have to do that. And then I, and then yeah. I did, and I was doing my thing, talking to the audience, acknowledging it. And then she pulled me back again. And she was like, you have a knack and ability to talk to that yada, yada, yada. And she's like, you got to keep, she said, people are going to tell you not to do it. Don't listen to them. And I had no idea what she meant at the time. Cause I was like, what do you mean? People are going to tell me not to do it. And then oh, sure I would have told you not to do it. Oh yeah. I would have said not to do it. <laughs> I would have said not to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's right though. She's right because she saw that that is you. Mm-hmm. That's you. you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So she was. So you and her, I used to call all the time on my uh, stand anniversary. So we, we were like your foster parents. You were, yes, in many ways. Yeah, exactly. You're my foster comedy parents. <laughs> yeah, Aww. I need to get you guys. See, I, I, just like my actual parents, I can't get you both in the same room. Uh, I- <laughs> 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 for some reason i never see you guys together i don't understand well i hate um, to break it to you but me and Carson are the same person <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't going to tell you but <laughs> just rip off the map and i don't want to hang out with you in red states <laughs> <laughs> oh yes you do <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus wow! Oh, he just he just sits there, like, I know. He's the, like he's in the grassy knoll. With the, he'll wait, he'll wait. <laughs> he's there two days early. I'll wait, I'll wait. <laughs> I know they're coming. I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> he's a sniper, too lazy to look for anybody. He just holds the rifle. It waits for somebody to walk into the crosshairs and then he fires. <laughs> the laziest you know, sniper in the world. What? You know what I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you right now? We're tied with Cola. Oh wow. Oh, we went yep. to oh my god, look how long we oh my I god. Know. I know we're tied with Cola. Okay, I'm impressed. Can, I didn't think I could deal with you this long. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are, and it's all on tap. <laughs> I I would love it if the glass just disappeared and you were just like <laughs> in between. Oh, I've done that. <laughs> you know what's the most decadent thing I ever did on stage? What? I I was uh, I just hit the stage mm-hmm. uh, on a weekend. I just got up there, and uh, I see this woman get up in the crowd, and I realize it's a friend of mine, somebody I know, mm-hmm. and I thought something was wrong. I go, "What's the matter, kiddo?" And she has a box in her hand. And she just comes and goes, here, these are for you. And hands me a box, a box of cannolis. Wow. Wow. A dozen large cannolis. I ate the whole box in my hour. Oh. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. That was the most decadent thing I've ever done. I didn't know you could eat on stage. That is, I'm going to have to try that. You know what else? <laughs> I worked at Virginia, the Virginia. What's it? It was either Virginia Funny Beach, bone? but it was either Virginia Beach or it was Richmond. Oh. It might have been Richmond, where it was the last room that you could still smoke inside. Wow, that's how long ago it was, and because a lot of military bases there it must have been Virginia Beach, and okay. 
I said, the, the late show Saturday was mm -hmm. a smoking show. And I said, can I smoke a cigar on stage? And they said, sure. And it was the only time I ever performed while smoking a cigar. And it fixed every single problem I had with any joke. Wow. It fixed my timing immediately because I'm so old school. I didn't realize all my old school guys all smoked cigars while they were working. It was yeah. like a, ti a timing mechanism. George Burns. And I used, yeah, I used it as a timing mechanism. And uh, that was also fun to do on stage was to have a cigar and perform for an hour. That was right. really cool. I'll never get, you, you know, I probably won't have that chance again. Did you stay stationary? Did you, did you pace? No, I, I'm usually fairly stationary. That's why a yeah. lot of guys in theaters love to work with me I, uh, when I'm doing South Florida, the retirement mm -hmm. communities or any, you know, thousand seat or 2000, any, anything larger than a thousand, they got to have a follow spot to follow you around the stage. Yeah. It's a big stage, you know, it's a big room. So I would yeah. call the, the lighting guy down before when I'm doing sound check. I come here. Are you this follow spot guy? Well, tonight you got the easiest job in the world. <laughs> when I walk out and I pull this mic out and I move the mic stand, whenever I'm standing, I'm going to be right there for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't move. I stand at do one you, spot. Do you prefer the tight comedy club or the, or the, because I know you've done both. You don't, you like the theater. I like, you know, I don't like people. So <laughs> I, <laughs> if I, i'm serious if i'm in what a club answer, you know, you know one, of, one, of the, one of the downstairs clubs in the city you know where you're there's 50 people in the room and basically the stage lines up to the front table right and you're on top of people i hate that i'm yeah. most comfortable two to three thousand people that wow. size of a theater i want a big stage mm -hmm. and i want a tremendous amount of distance between me and the people wow yeah i, I, I don't like being in a cramped the only exception to that was the what, which is not not there. It was the comedy stop at the Trop in Vegas. Oh. That was like a comedy club in a casino. It had low ceilings. Right, it was a tight packed room. That room was on fire. That was a great room for comedy. Wow, um, there. But uh, shy of that, though, I prefer a theater anytime over a comedy club. I th that's gone now too, right? Well, Vegas went first. The comedy the, stopped, the stopped comedy gone, stopped right? left. I think that's where um is that where Brad is now? Where's Garrett's yeah. room? Because it was that's it, where Garrett's room is now. Garrett's yeah. in there. Somebody's in the MGM, but um I haven't been to oh, Garrett's. Kimmel's to somewhere. Room. Kimmel's in the MGM, right? I don't know. I haven't been back to Vegas since the Improv closed. Oh wow, okay. Because uh, I work um, the Improv, so yeah. Because I know the uh the the. What should we call it? The Tropicana one closed. Bob's room or whatever. And uh... that was yeah, Bob Kephart. That was the comedy stop at the Trop. That closed. Oh, okay, yeah, that closed in yeah. AC too. It's gone. Yes. Then that that's when I started working the Improv at Harris, which is also now gone. Oh right, Fuck. yeah. That was a good room too. That was a great room. Wow, you've done Boston, right? Boston. I've been around Boston, not in Boston. Okay, I've okay. never performed in Boston. I've always wanted to because. Tony V is one of the, yeah, one of the guys I love, dude. A, a, as a comic, I got to talk to him during the uh, charity thing. I wanted to have him on. He is an alien aficionado. I love, like, we had some weird chats yeah. about it. Yeah. He knows Tony's a little a bit more guy. than I thought he was gonna. Tony's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. A, he's hilarious, but he's one of those dudes. I did not know how into aliens he was. Um. So that you mean was, from uh, space? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Okay. And okay. also Spaniards. 
Um, but that, yeah, no, no, that's, no. Uh, no. no, you racist Spaniards are from Spain. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, but I just, I, it's okay. No, no, I understand. So I got to get you a dictionary and a map. Okay, sure. <laughs> I, okay. I'm not good with geography, but here's the thing. If I had, let me tell you this. If I say Spaniards, it sounds playful. If I say Mexicans, I sound like Trump and racist. I'm just saying oh, in so my you're trying head, to legitimize your racism. I understand. Yeah. Good for you, John. Let's let's put some polish on this racism. See if it's shiny. Good for yeah. you, John. <laughs> Just trying to avoid. Could have went with Latinos. Wasn't <laughs> it out there? It's right. still... <laughs> That's the most it... blanketed of statements. You could have just said Latino. I could have. Yeah. <laughs> but but Spaniard sounds fun, doesn't it? Is it just me? I, I, I'm not getting on your boat, John. Look, he's gone. I'm gone. Tom doesn't even want to be seen. <laughs> I said, if you say Spaniard three times, Tom disappears. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Jesus oh. Christ. Fucking Too A. Funny. Uh, well, mm. listen, we got before I actually let you go, I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked every guest. Yes. It's an important one. It's the, uh, unless you, you want to stay till tomorrow morning, because I'll talk, I'll go get an egg sandwich. We'll do this all night. Talk to me. Um, what Tom's gonna have the color bars up on the screen pretty soon in a second. Hang on, <laughs> what, what is this shit? Just, just, just play the national anthem and let's ooh. go. <laughs> How uh, old school is that? Do you remember it, that, John? Do you remember oh, channels going off the air with the national anthem? I do, probably not. I mean, I think I, I have a memory of my dad falling asleep in front and having to turn off the TV for him, but that was I was born in '84, so they probably did away with that. I remember there you being just, nothing on. You just had to throw that out there. I was born in 84. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I liked it. I did it to Wendy Lieben the other night until she realized she could have been, she could be my mother. And uh, yeah. And she was like, oh my yeah. God. Like, yeah, after I told her that, I thought she was going to have a breakdown. 84. <laughs> 84. Beautiful year. 1984. Mm. That was the year everything came together. <laughs> <laughs> And turn to shit. <laughs> now, what do you what do you want to ask me? <laughs> oh, what I so uh, if you had, if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, something that you know now to help you, what Ooh. would it be? That's a very good question. Thank you. Um, one piece of advice, huh? Mm -hmm. To give myself. Wow. Mm. Well, don't talk at that comedy class. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. oh, the amount of time he made me wait to fucking shoot me one last time, right in the heart. Waited for you to walk between the crosshairs. I learned that from him. <laughs> That was great. Um, oh, wow. Piece of advice. No, on, honestly, um, mm, trust people to do their to know their job. Hmm. You know, because I because I do know a lot of the history of show business. I know a lot of things that have happened good and bad to other people in the past mm -hmm. and the whole stories about their climb and then their fall and their climb and their fall and how. I didn't realize till kind of recently 
that all the stories of the agents that screwed over this guy and the managers who hurt that person and the club owner this and the producers that and the director this, of course they were all at fault in the stories. I'm hearing it from the talent side. Right. And they're not going to put themselves in a bad light. Right. And so you, I, not you, I kind of had for a little bit when I was, things were popping, 2003, 2004, 2005, I almost got my own show on television. Mm -hmm. That was, man, and I didn't trust all the agents to take care of this and the lawyers to take care of that. And I kept thinking, they're going to do this because this is what happened. You know, this is what happened to Fred Allen. And this is what happened to Frank. And this is what happened. And I, I was too much in my head. I was too much in the past. Instead of living in that moment, I would trust people to know their job and do their job. And then nobody's looking out to screw you. If they're your agents and your managers, they're on your team. They don't succeed unless you succeed. So let them help you succeed. Wow. I stepped on a couple of toes inadvertently, nothing major, but I stepped on some toes when I shouldn't have, not in an egotistical way, but in an ignorant way Mm -hmm. of not knowing this is not 1950. You, you know, you're not trying to get on Sullivan. It's different. It's and I was kind of confused there for a little while. It took me a while, but but I got it. that's why I'm so up your ass sometimes about call this person, contact that, and then try this right. and see that because I get it now. I have a, a higher view of the of the land, the lay of the land, you know. Right. So that's a, but that would be my advice. It's just sit back a little. Would you relax? It's nobody's out to end you career you're not that special just sit back and let them try and help you make it you know (laughs) oh beautiful man thank you that would be it i love that yeah man thank you so much and and Um, start drinking at nine instead of 12 (laughs) (laughs) build up the immunity early that's my point love this has been this has been we're wrapping up now yes and this has been very eventual (laughs) <laughs> so it's been i knew it was coming but it was like watching the sun set it's like now 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 you know <laughs> and now now it's over now it's over so right oh man yeah this is uh this is fun it's not that we, we don't have to break through the finish line mm-hmm. it's so it's so worn and withered now from being so long <laughs> That it's just falling apart. Now we're going to walk right through the finish line. Well, when I edit this down to five minutes, you're going to love it. (laughs) First three are just you insulting me and then wrapping it up. That's it. That's it. We're going to do it. Uh, We're going to close on you saying start drinking at nine. And then that's how we'll do it. Um, but no, Boys, this has been fun. Good. I, thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for doing it, for staying on for this long. Sure. Even though we talked three times today already. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We got a problem. I, we do. I think your we wife suspects problem. something. Yeah. I think there's a, 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 just a whiff of broke back comedy. <laughs> <laughs> John's been trying to make oh. that tour happen for years. I know. <laughs> I know. We don't even need an audience. If you ask no. me, I think we'd be fine just on our own. Yeah, he brought a tent and everything. He brought a tent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. Just stop me before I put on the Joker makeup because I don't think that ends well. Are you sure this is where the gig is? I have no cell service. No, this is it. 
This is it. It's just me and you at a yurt <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> I feel like there should be more people here. No, this is it. This is it. You know, Carlin used to write out here. <laughs> when I said I was opening for you, I... <laughs> there's just one abused, shaken turtle. Like, don't do it. What a what a bizarre ending (laughs) to a nice conversation about show business. Yeah, Yeah. wouldn't have it any other way. We covered every base. We did. We did. Thank you. There's no game being played today, but we we covered every base. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Oh my god! Seriously, thank you so much, man. It's of course, been a, a joy. Anything a for fun. you, man. Thank you, man. Dystopia tonight.